One of the best ways to support the FTF podcast is to check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, interviews, and plenty more. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Spartan 117. Anyone hear me? Over. Isolate that signal. Master Chief, you mind telling me what you're doing on that ship? Sir, finishing this fight. Finish the fight, the Halo podcast. I am your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And today's episode, uh, you'll hear a little bit more about this, is brought to you by Audible. Let's talk about community updates first, kind of what's been going on. So, the first most important thing that happened is over the weekend, we had player versus player flight testing for Halo Reach on PC. Yeah, a little PvP action. I know we had a, it seems like we had a decent number of our Discord people who. Look like they partaked in it and mm-hmm. gave us some feedback. And a couple of you on Instagram we reached out to kind of talked to us about it. It seems like it was actually a pretty awesome time. Yeah, it seemed really cool. Uh, unfortunately, I'm married to the console, so I, I I can't experience that kind of privilege, but possibly one day. And yeah, so the only other thing that I found really, really interesting is a few weeks ago, 343 had posted that they had recruited a pug. I think it was Gaiaza. Either way, this is this is the Jesse side of the updates. This, this this is interesting for me because our Google alerts for about two days were nothing but this pug, but it's it's kind of gone up for debate as to what this pug is going to be. A lot of people are saying grunts in the flood. Some people are even saying brutes. I was thinking it's probably going to be something like a like a new br or something <laughs> in there. I was thinking that we're just going to do that because you can't really do any worse than what they've done. So, <laughs> but yeah, I I, th- I think it's like people need to realize. That they do alter the sound. They just they just don't record this pug breathing or growling and then just throw it in the game. There's a lot of sound manipulation that goes on whenever they're doing this kind of stuff. So it could be anything. It, it could potentially be a brute. They could lower it a few octaves or they could lower it just one octave and it could be the flood. But either way, I thought that was kind of interesting to bring to the table for today's episode. So moving on, let's talk about the topic at hand, which is the Cole Protocol. The Cole Protocol is the sixth book in the Halo franchise written by Tobias S. Bakel. It was released on November 25th, 2008. It was published by Tor Books and contains 368 pages. The book has 76 chapters, which is nearly four times more than the usual Halo novel. Now I want to cover that. Because I was listening to it with a friend, and she was saying, like, you're already on chapter 70? I'm like, well, yes and no. 
It's like four sentences, and it's like chapter 72. Yeah, like some chapters are like, it doesn't happen until the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Most, if not all chapters, for the most part, are full chapters, but occasionally... The last third is like 40 chapters. Yeah, it would it'll literally be like a page or two, mm-hmm. and then it's like, all right, next chapter, next chapter. Interesting way of writing it. I don't get why that's how it was written, but... Yeah, it's it's... Not to detract too much, but it's it's kind of one of those things where you do a paragraph break where it's mm-hmm. now a new person talking, but instead of doing that, they just made it chapters. That's literally what happened, yeah. Or mm-hmm. s- there were sometimes even it was just like a character would leave, and then all of a sudden it would continue with the people still in the room, but that's a new chapter. Mm-hmm. Again, it was an interesting way to write it, but we'll go into you know what we thought about that around the end of the episode. So the cover art was by Isaac Hannaford, who has been doing a lot of cover art for Halo. Whenever they re-release the first three books, he does a cover art for that. He also did Ghost of Onyx as well. Mm -hmm. I can't remember if he did Contact Harvest. It does look like he did that. And then it was also narrated by Jonathan Davis, who also narrated who also narrated Ghost of Onyx. Mm -hmm. And so a little bit about Buckle. Uh, he, he was a New York Times bestselling author, born in the Caribbean in 1979. And one interesting fact with that, too, is he spent most of his early life raised on a boat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that was kind of the lifestyle that his family had known. Mm-hmm. So it was it was nothing. And so he kind of just assumed that would be his life. From an early age, Bacal was experimenting with words. So when he was growing up, his mother would write down words on a piece of paper he would then select one randomly and make a sentence out of the word that he got. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so kind of like, you know, flashcards type mm-hmm. thing with, with, with mom, which is really cool. So she was really involved. What else is there to do on a fucking boat? Very true. So, <laughs> so parents out there, if you want your kids to be smart, live on a boat. And, uh, and by first grade, Bacal had already written his first short story. Uh, super impressive. And by 15, he had submitted a short story to Writers of the Future. And at 19... He set a quota to get 100 rejections a year to push himself to continue writing. And by 20 years of age, he sold his first short story to an online zine called Jackhammer for eight bucks. He's pretty smart for a 19-year-old, that kind of 100 rejections. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's like there's probably like an official number for like early writers like – if well, I, I think almost any creative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If however many you submit, you know, for every 100 you submit, you'll get one or two published. So yeah, you want to get that one 1.1 percent sweet spot because mm-hmm. that's like whether you're cold calling, whether you're reaching out with a portfolio, you kind of want that one percent response. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because he didn't even always have dreams of being a writer. Instead, you know, he he was writing at an early age. Like mm-hmm. he did, he did have it as more of a hobby. But he thought he would actually be a captain. By his senior year of high school, he was actually working on becoming a captain for the Coast Guard. Though eventually he his parents moved to the United States and he basically he moved to Ohio. And he's like, well, this there's nowhere to be a captain in the Coast Guard here. Yeah. So I'm basically screwed because I know at one point he even said if it wasn't going to be a captain of the Coast Guard. He would just be the captain of a boat. He didn't go into detail, but he said he would only, only work like three or four days a week mm-hmm. and then just ride on the days off. Like he, that was only just a hobby at one point. He did not see this as a career, which is crazy to me that it kind of took over. So yeah, once he moved to America, he didn't like any of the work that he was doing. So he decided two weeks before his first semester of college that he would attend, being the first in his family to do so, 
which he described as a desperate gamble because he said he was tired of working at McDonald's, essentially. Well, yeah, it boils down to, I mean, you kind of have this career path set that you've had, whether it's through childhood, through adolescence, you're like, I want to be a captain of the Coast Guard. We're on water. I've lived mm-hmm. on a boat. I know what I'm doing. And then when you come to the Midwest and there's not really water, that changes everything up. Yeah, it absolutely does. So in 1999, he would attend Clarion and spend the next seven years writing until he released his first book, Crystal Rain. And on to writing the Cole Protocol. Bukel stated that Bungie contacted him to write the book and was somewhat out of the blue. You know, but apparently he had caught Bungie and Tor Book's attention with his writing Tor being Tobias's publisher. So kind of that like meeting hand in hand, like, hey, you guys need a writer? You write stuff? Let's talk. Yeah. And, it, and obviously stuff like that helps. Additionally, Bikel writing for the Halo franchise came up after a conversation with a Tor editor who was roughly the same age as Bikel. After they exchanged what some of their favorite games were, Halo being one of them, as apparently we've learned everyone's is at that mm-hmm. age, which is oh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, the editor submitted some of his work to Bungie and Tor, and they later said they wanted to work with him feeling adventurous. It was, you know, this is a new guy. We we want someone new. We don't want someone who's been so, you know, in the thick of it when it comes to Halo. Let's find someone with a different perspective. And that seems like what they, they've done for a lot of the writers thus far is mm-hmm. fans who could write. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Bakel is a fan of all things Halo, you know, games, books, comments, etc., and said that he accepted the deal mainly because he, quote-unquote, dug the Halo universe so much, not for the money, because he would often talk about how he made a lot more money doing nonfiction. Mm -hmm. So, this was just a passion project for him through and through. He said it made talks with Bungie pretty easy considering he knew almost all of the extended lore already, because the second he accepted the deal, he had already played all the games, and read most of the books. And I think he even read the comics, too. So he walked in knowing basically everything. Yeah, knowing everything up to that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the book itself was a total collaboration from the minds of Bungie and Bakel. Both had ideas that they brought to the table in their initial meeting when discussing the book. So Bakel would also state that the book was directly aimed for Halo fans. Whenever Nylon wrote The Fall of Reach or Statenhead wrote Contact Harvest, they had talked about they wanted this to be a good book and open to anyone who isn't really a fan of Halo. But Bakel was like, this one is, this is kind of a, a one-off story. This is definitely geared for Halo fans. Well, it makes sense because having to explain to kind of a layman to the Halo universe of what the Cold Protocol is, what the war has been like, mm-hmm. who was Captain Keys. And like you'd have to reintroduce so many facets that have mm-hmm. already been introduced previously. Yeah, so it, this book was more about introducing new ideas than having to re-explain them all in depth. And they do mm-hmm. a little bit, but that's just here and there. Yeah, to catch you up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so some concepts that Bakel wrote about actually had a lasting effect on readers. In one instance, it was a colonel in Iraq. And he says, quote, I fictionalized something to that extent in the book and got a very nice letter from a colonel in Iraq who made the Halo book assigned reading and then would have his men discuss this idea. You see the acceptance of torture as an accurate information-gathering mechanism throughout Hollywood and is extremely problematic. One, that it is morally acceptable at all, and two, that it is assumed to give good information, an idea discredited centuries ago. Yeah, the colonel actually thanked Bakel for depicting the idea of torture realistically. So instead of the uh, instead of the character who is going to be tortured, I think eventually he gets Stockholm syndrome, which is the more realistic thing that happens in those situations. Well, because 
at war or at any time, you realize people are people. Mm-hmm. So instead of torturing someone to get the information, because you're seeking something. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing this and harming them, they're going to say whatever you want to hear mm-hmm. to have it stop. Yeah. So if you treat someone humanely like, hey, you have to stay here, but if you could help us out and talk with them, it's like, okay, like this is my life now. This is what mm-hmm. has to happen. Yeah, you can even break down that psychology within, you know, when the police are interrogating someone. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's a very deep-rooted thing that happens. So whenever this was brought up in the book and it's shot down instantly, like it's 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 so different. Yeah. Because then you see just kind of a spoiler. The elites have a situation where they just beat the shit out of this jackal. They're mm-hmm. just like – yeah, no, you're going to tell us whatever, which he was telling the truth, but you'll find out later. So, yeah, and then just something I wanted to throw in there is that Bakel actually played Halo 3 first because he saw all the hype that was generated around it. So he bought an Xbox, played Halo 3, and was like, this is amazing, and I have to go play the first two now. So I thought it was always interesting. Like, he's a pretty hardcore fan, but not everyone, even, you know, writers of the Halo novels start out, you know, in CE. Well, yeah, and like you said, like his his life wasn't one of growing up with gaming or any of those things. Mm-hmm. He lived on a boat, moved here. He played with paper. Yeah, he, <laughs> he made words and wrote stories. So obviously that was, you know, his background. Mm-hmm. You jump into gaming and you can kind of play all that through. Like that's, that's a really cool thing. Mm-hmm. So we're getting to the book. Let's start off and break down who we're going to see in the book. Mm-hmm. Just some really key characters that we're either seeing from the universe that has been they've given us so far Mm -hmm. or some new ones in here, especially a couple Spartans. Yeah. And so to start off for the UNSC, you have Jacob Keys. You have our three Spartans, Adriana, 111, Jai, which I love that he always calls himself 006, (laughs) and Mike, which is Spartan 120. You got Akio Watanabe, Dimitri Zeng, Faison, who is our leader of the Helljumpers in this book. Mm -hmm. We've got Preston Cole, John Malkizi, Badia Campbell, Ray Lee, Dante Kirtley, Miranda Keys, Corinthia Hansen, Josh Smith, Finley, Jeffries, Markov, Canfield, Tom Garrenser, and Hadley. So we got a couple couple characters you're going to meet who are pretty much based only in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of ODST, a lot of bridge crew that are with Keys in there. Yeah. And a lot of characters that we're seeing on a world that we're going to see is called Rubble mm-hmm. um, and see kind of what happens with them. Yeah. So then on the Covenant side, we have Thel Vatami. Now, this was before his military rank was stripped because we learn in the book that the EE at the end of your name means you're like an active duty. Mm. So we know him as Thel Vadam, but it's actually Thel Vatami in this book. So we also have Zar, Veer, Reth, Chur Mutt, Jora Connery, Saul, Kaido Vadam, Lok Vatami, Peleus, Pippet, the prophet of regret and the prophet of truth. And then on my side, my support falls to them <laughs> are the insurrectionists with Jason Kincaid, Peter Bonifacio, Ignacio Delgado, Diego Esquival, Maria Esquival, Juliana, Melko Hollister, Eddie Underwood, and Owen. The insurrectionists, by the way, have the coolest names in this book. Oh, by far. And, and, once again, this this goes on to my feelings within the universe. We actually get to see from the insurrectionist, from the refugee point of view. Because mm-hmm. uh, we'll realize some of these people on here aren't necessarily full insurrectionists. They're just 
bunking with them essentially. Exactly. They're it, on a world that they're on accepts, a refugee world basically that accepts everyone, mm-hmm. UNSC, anyone essentially. Yeah. So yeah, I, f- I found that really really interesting. Also, you see a lot more people from different walks of life mm-hmm. because Tobias talks about that in his writing. He tries to make it as mixed up and as multicultural as possible. Well, and that goes to show you back to the the torturing thing we kind of talked about mm-hmm. that. Humans are humans. Mm-hmm. Aliens are aliens type thing. So it's kind of when you get to know each other, we're, mm-hmm. we're all the same. We just happen to either be born differently or in different situations mm-hmm. like some of these people. Yeah. All right. So now let's move on to the summary of the book itself. And it starts out pretty cool. It starts out. So we're at the refugee world, the rubble. And there's these Kigyar attacking it. And we learn that the rubble is at insert. But the jackals are actually trying to get navigation data to find Earth. And so, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because that's that's kind of going with our point of why the book is called the Cold Protocol. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's there's a data chip with uh, Earth's location, mm-hmm. and the Kigyar, as we were learning in the first kind of chapter, kind of prologue with it, where we're going to introduce to both Ignacio Delgado and his friend Melko Hollister, mm-hmm. is that they're trying to protect it. Yeah, and so eventually the jackals do manage to actually kill Melko. It doesn't show it, but he does get hit. And he tries to protect Ignacio. Yeah, because both of them end up taking a shot mm-hmm. and trying to get through this. But you see that it's it, it's kind of all despair right now. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're doing what they can. And what I love is at this portion, they're talking about Delgado's sidearm. Senor Aces. Yeah, and it's this, it's this <laughs> beautiful six-shooter that it was Grandpa, right? Yeah, I think so. I think it was his grandpa who labored over this gun and customized it with like this beautiful wood mm-hmm. and custom metals and made it this showpiece yeah. that comes up a little bit in the book and it's just really cool and it's a, a, a beautiful memento. I think it, it reminds me of the "Hey, you're famous" and uprising. It's mm-hmm. Like this is a nice gun. Like the, it, it kind of that reoccurring thing that keeps. Yeah, up. and and it, and it shows that his family really cared about each other and like making these pieces for. Just beautiful things. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's a really cool start to one of our main characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so in the midst of all this, Adriana 111 or 111 shows up and she actually saves Delgado from being killed by the Kig Yar. And so she hands him a beacon. She's like, listen, if, if this navigation data gets out of your hands, activate this and we'll come find you. Mm-hmm. And she also says, by the way, I was never here. Yeah, and then throws down a puff of smoke and then disappears. Yeah, it's it's such a cool intro because this is for most of the people that are going to see this book. This is the first time any of them are even seeing a Spartan, mm-hmm. especially this far out because we're we're in the outer worlds right now, uh, and we're about ten years into the war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's interesting because it's yeah, it, it always describes in the book every time someone sees a Spartan, they're kind of like, what is that? Because it's, yeah, what is a seven foot half ton monstrosity? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then we kind of change pace because then we see Captain Keyes again. And so as of right now, Lieutenant Keyes is actually a teacher. Mm-hmm. So he he's teaching, was it naval tactics or whatever they teach in the UNSC? Yeah, yeah. So I believe he's teaching naval tactics and kind of how to, how to work around the covenant and things mm-hmm. like that, like famous battles, things like that. And, and trying to, you know, obviously prep the next class for... Thanks, Captains. Yeah, and so he meets Commander Dimitri Zhang, and you find out that he's actually transferred from, he's at, what, Luna OCS Academy, and so he's now given a stealth frigate, the UNSC Midsummer Night, 
And the cold protocol is like a new thing. Mm-hmm. So like we have a mission for you. You need to go and enforce the cold protocol. And I think at this point, Keys was listed um, as inactive mm-hmm. for battle. Yeah. And think, so they're, they're kind of like, you're reinstated. Yeah, they're like, all right, well, you're back. And I think he, he kind of wanted this. He kind of missed it, being mm-hmm. in the captain's chair. And so, yeah, so the, the cold protocol is this big thing that's going on. It's almost like... I don't want to say it's revolutionary, but, like, it just took effect. So they're like, all right, everyone needs to do this no matter what. And not just the UNSC. Mm -hmm. It's everyone. Any ship that's ever had, like, any interworld data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so if if, if you got a text from someone on your ship from Earth, your ship needs to be destroyed. Yeah. Which is kind of this conflict of interest that comes up. It's because, well, before any of that, he meets Jeffries, who is this wisecracking Pelican pilot. Yeah, he's he's kind of like, uh, who is the character we just had in Harvest? I can't, uh, I know what you're talking the, about. He, yeah. was, he, was, he was with Johnson. He's kind of mm-hmm. like the comic relief, kind of like breaking you back into the spirit yeah. of it. Yeah, and he had like his, his pilot's outfit wasn't fully buttoned up or something, and eventually Keys like rips him a new asshole, and it's like, I don't care, like button up everything, like like you're you're under me, I don't give a shit who you are, like look presentable. Yeah, because Keys is, is like asserting that, that, that kind of role as, mm-hmm. you know, captain in the chair again, because at first when they meet, he's kind of like, you know, your, your uniform's out of whack, he's like, no one cares around here. Like, we're just doing this thing. And so then when he meets him again mm-hmm. to take off, he's like, you better clean that shit up. And he's like, okay. Yeah, and you can tell we'll again, do, he's, he's pissed, but he's like, I have to. Mm-hmm. So eventually Keyes meets up with Oni officer Major Watanabe and Zhang, and they kind of discuss this mission that they have to do, which I even like that Watanabe is an Oni officer. So they said he just like, sneaks up on people yeah that that was kind of interesting it's like like you know we're seeing we want to be seen we're heard when we want to be heard because yeah. they're all like because they're spooks yeah and it's kind of like those things like we get it like that they even comment like it's annoying that they do that yeah it was good i i liked it and, and it was an interesting interesting intro i guess i'll throw those two words together it's interesting <laughs> intro to these characters because you're you're starting to slowly get background on who's mm-hmm. on key's ship mm-hmm. and 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 possibly their fate and yeah we'll see which is cool and you know like i talked about earlier the kind of jumping back and forth which i made fun of the chapter count it's done really well mm-hmm. it's just too many chapters yeah. but we then jump from our stealth ship back to the rubble mm-hmm. and we're with delgado yeah who's looking for clues because he suspected that someone had to tip the jackals off Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they they were at Melko's funeral, his friend that died. Mm-hmm. They were at there, and he talks to... He talks to Maria. He talks to Maria, and... So, you know, he's talking to her, and then ends up talking with... And ends up talking with her brother, Diego, who we learn is one of these council members who runs the rubble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and he's kind of like, Diego, you entrusted me to keep this data safe. Like, he's like, there's no way... Any of those jackals would have known where we were. Mm-hmm. Like, we were definitely set up. And you start to learn that there's been this kind of plot mm-hmm. to sell that navigation data to the jackals. And this is the first time, I think, we ever hear about a human covenant species interaction that's yeah. not hostile. Yeah. So it's kind of like they've been, like, working with each other. Yeah. And, and you know, trading goods and... 
weaponry and, and things we'll learn in the future, like, w- you know, what impacts those have on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we find out that it's Peter Bonifacio, again, with the great names, mm-hmm. uh, who is a known smuggler who was eventually voted on the Security Council. And they even said, like, on the side, he still does some of that smuggling. So that's kind of like they're like putting two and two together. They're yeah, because like, he's thinking, you know, what ship has left and come back from the in-world from trading, you know, smuggling certain goods? Who's the mm-hmm. only member who hasn't been here? And they're like, okay, you know, we're putting these things together and, and yeah. slowly piecing it. Yeah. And so eventually, so he kind of tries to go all covert ops and is like, I'm going to figure out, you know, I'm going to get some hard proof about this. And so he, he makes his way into this bar and, and something he, he mentions is that he sees this bodybuilder off to the side. And so he sits down and he's talking to someone he knows and that, and I can't, I, their name escapes me, but they made a comment about, yeah, like the, what did they say? The, the, the queen or princess over there. Oh, cause he's talking to the bartender. Yeah. He's sitting up at the bar. Yeah. yeah. And so we realized, like, well, first of all, because he thought it was a male bodybuilder, but he's like, oh, that's a female, like, because of how big she is. And then he goes over, and it's Adriana, mm-hmm. the Spartan, and she's not in her armor, and she's asking questions, too, because they're trying to get to the bottom of this, because they're trying to kind of learn. They're trying to enact the cold protocol. Yeah, and that's why, that's why we figure out they were sent out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so all of a sudden, all the insurrectionists in the bar are kind of like— you two are sniffing around a little too much, and he just gets lumped with her because they're talking to each mm-hmm. other. So we see her be a Spartan, kick everyone's ass, and then eventually as things start getting a little hot, Jai walks in, and he's in his armor. And yeah, he's in his just, full armor. Everyone freezes. They're like, what the fuck is this? So yeah, I found that interesting, and they, they managed to get out just because everyone was too scared to mess with them. But yeah, so then eventually Delgado makes his way back to... Gray team ship the Petya. We find a, you know, like they're officially Gray team. So it's Jai, Mike, and Adriana, as we said. And they explained to Diego, as we said earlier, that we got to destroy that navigation data. We gave it back to you, but we got to destroy it because it's part of the cold protocol. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There was some, there was some silly stuff going on. I think, I think what they were trying to do too with him keeping the data with the beacon was to try and see who was kind of the leaker of it because they had a little bit of info on that. And what I really like, too, is that with Adriana, she kind of vouches for Delgado. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But especially, especially Jai is like, I'm not dealing with insurrectionists. Yeah. And she's like, no, like, he's he's cool. Like, we're going to deal with him for now. Like, Yeah. And, and he, Delgado, eventually storms off. He's like, I, I don't want to be a part of this. I'm going to figure this out on my own. And he leaves. He's mm-hmm. up and leaves. And they're just... Yeah, they even make a comment like you picked a feisty one, Adriana. Like so, so she 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 sticks her neck out for him because she likes him. Like she she's like, okay, this is like a guy. This is an asset that we need. Yeah, and what I really love about Bukel writing this with the Spartans, he gives them all really unique personalities, mm-hmm. and they're actually kind of witty. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. which we've talked about in other ones. It's it's kind of a quality you don't see mm-hmm. in a huge amount of Spartans. Yeah, because well, they're they're been brainwashed since they were children. They're yeah. robotic, so kind of a reason you're automatically saying, "Well, why is this Spartan team kind of off on their own? Why are mm-hmm. they different?" And it, you know, we we actually learn in the next scene is after Delgado leaves, it kind of flashes back to when Jai and Adriana were kids, mm-hmm. and we find out that while they were young, they kept trying to escape. 
They tried yeah. to escape multiple times, and they said every time they would have to use different tactics to find them. And finally, Jai was brought in to talk to Catherine Halsey. And and I, lo- I just love how this how she tries to explain this to him so horribly. She's like, okay, listen, if, if you really want to leave, you can go and run off, and we'll hit you, we'll shoot you in the head with this tranquilizer, mm-hmm. and it'll make you forget about everything. And it's just, I love seeing this five-year-old kind of naive kid go, she telling the truth? I can't tell. Yeah. And it's like, they're just going to shoot you in the head. Don't yeah. do it. Don't do it. Oh, that's exactly it. But yeah, so like he, so she actually does tell him though, like, listen, you had no one when we kidnapped you. You were an orphan who kept running off. Like, you have a purpose here. Like, we don't want you running off. We have plans for you. And so that night he met up with Adriana and he says, like, what did she tell you? And she was just crying. Mm-hmm. So... Halsey did what she does best, and she played this really fucked mind game with him. So they eventually decided, like, let's go back home. Like, let's just go. And so when they went back home, they were told, like, listen, we have plans for you. We can guarantee it. And they're they're paired up with Mike. And they're like, what what did you do? He's like, I stole a pelican. (laughs) Yeah. Because, uh, well, like, they said that Mike, when they came to the base originally, he saw a pilot controlling the pelican once. That's all he needed to mm-hmm. see. And so Mike's like the tech guy. But they're like, yeah, I, I stole a Pelican. So there's like, okay, well, these three are kind of troublemakers. Let's make them a group where we just send them behind enemy lines. Yeah, they're, it's a great team, a.k.a. Team Wanderlust. Yeah, like they're the kind of the stepchild that, no, like, you know, dad doesn't want to talk to. Let's just go play in traffic. That's what my parents always told me. Well, I, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I see it as... This this is a team that always wanted to to get out from you know, like the UNSC noses, and then mm-hmm. that's kind of what we're seeing with this, and we'll mm-hmm. see at the end of the book, is that you know they're the team that is perfect for this because they always want to be going, they want to mm-hmm. see stuff, they want to explore, they want to cause a little bit of mayhem, mm-hmm. and that's what they do best. So that's that's what they're doing. Yeah, I I, yeah, I think they're kind of like kind of like the punks of the group. Mm-hmm. Like really, that's what it is. Like almost anti-authority. Yeah. While working for the authority, like doing things their own way. Because mm-hmm. they even talk about like gray team will go without years with talking with anyone. Mm-hmm. Like they'll just do their own thing. And like UNSC doesn't know if they're alive or dead. They just know occasionally this group of covenant that we wanted to die died. Yeah. So we think yeah. It's them. yeah. Like something like that. Like which which I think is really, really cool. Like mm-hmm. I, I love that aspect about them. So now we're back with Jacob Keys. Mm hmm. Chapter 704. Yeah, chapter 704. Yeah, and, and so we're back to the Midsummer Night, and Keyes is attempting to enforce a cold protocol on a civilian freighter. Mm-hmm. Because he, obviously they're like, okay, you have to erase all your star charts. You have to pretty much wipe your ship, unfortunately. Yeah. So he takes down himself and some ODSTs to board the freighter. The insurrectionist captain is like, you know, you you pigs, like, you, you are just policing well, us for no reason. Well, I don't think they know that he's an extractionist at the time. No, I no, think no. He's, he's just a he's regular just a, captain. He's just like a, um, a trading captain, basically. Yeah, yeah. And, and I like that they also talk about that these ODST have been on these missions for a while, and they haven't seen any action, so they've kind of been, like, angsty just to go down there and police it. But yeah, so so what you're saying, this guy was kind of chewing keys out. Yeah, because he's saying, like, like you guys don't let us live, like, you're putting these crazy rules on us for no reason, mm-hmm. and then... Keys was like, okay, you know, we're doing what we have to do. Like, sweep that container. Mm-hmm. Like, see, like, just double check what's in it. Yeah, and then this is almost like the uh, the Hydra call of like, cut one head off and two will come back. Like, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, the guy's like, we're gonna win one day. 
and then boom, it was a fucking bomb. Which this scene is really cool how they tell it. Like, of course, like bunch of ODST are dead and Keys is like it's almost that scene you see in movies when a bomb goes off and like the person doesn't really have their hearing the, the ring ears yeah and they're disoriented and someone's trying to talk to them but it's like a, a, a faint voice they hear like so that was really cool to see that go down not cool it, that wasn't, it wasn't cool to see go down it was just a really cool scene yeah it was, it was well written how well about written that? bombs aren't cool but if you if you write about them cinematically then that is cool then they're really cool they're, my, they're Michael Bay cool <laughs> and we're seeing that you know, as Keys is coming out of this, he's looking around, he's looking at bodies strewn, people not moving, and First Lieutenant Canfield, who was the commander for the ODSTs, is dead. Mm-hmm. So Keys and the ODST are trying to figure out what's going on and trying to figure out what they're going to do about this. So Keys mm-hmm. starts to devise a plan, and he decides, as the ODSTs are doing what they do best, they're sweeping the ship, they're trying to go out and yeah. see, you know, make sure that it's, it's clean, mm-hmm. Keys is like, wait. Did you guys hail Midsummer Night? Yeah. And they're like, no, none of us did. Yeah. And so he's like, oh, the insurrectionists did, and this whole ship is a bomb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so Keys is like, listen, we need to get within signal of them, mm-hmm. and we need to get everyone off of here. So he devises a plan. He's like, listen, I, I, I'm going to leave this ship. And and this is where we kind of meet Phazon, and he butts heads with Phazon because Phazon thinks his plan's bad, and he's like, I don't give a shit. I don't care if I'm Navy and you're the and you're the Marines. Like, I have command of you. So he he puts everyone, like, he puts a bunch of ODST in these containers. He puts, yeah, he takes the, um, the car containers that are still there. Mm-hmm. One is reserved for the dead. One is reserved from the, for the injured. And all of the active ODST that can move around will actually pilot out with them mm-hmm. because the ODST suits are atmosphere-proof, I think 15 minutes of oxygen. Yeah. So they, they can do that. And so that's when Keyes, you know, looks at, like, one of the wounded, and he's like, give me your armor. Yeah, so he, he puts on armor, and he makes his way out. And so he gets within range of the Midsummer Night to say, hey, like, it's a fucking trap. Get out, get out, get out. And as, uh, like, one of the containers comes out, the ship that they were just on blows up mm-hmm. and kills a bunch of ODST. So he instantly like, feels guilty. And d- he doesn't get shot, does he? Or does he get shot on his way out? Weren't the insurrectionists shooting at him? Yeah, so he was getting shot at, and, like, some of the armor took some of the pings, but he mm-hmm. never got, like, pierced. Yeah. Uh, but So, yeah, so he was using the battle rifle that he had mm-hmm. to use that burst to kind of, like, propel him. Yeah, oh, and that's yeah. what the ODSTs were doing. Like they were holding onto the, the containers and firing away, and trying to get the containers out. And so Keys thinks at this moment he goes, "I've lost everyone in this this mission. It was mm-hmm. a complete and utter failure." Yeah, he kind of is like down on himself, and he's basically just like, "I I screwed over all these men." Yeah, like like this was on me. So yeah, then it, we we get that switch, and now we're on Zanghelios, and we actually see Thelvatomy. Mm-hmm. And he's just chilling in the middle of the night, waiting to be killed. Apparently, this is a normal thing, and we'll go into that in a second. So, three assassins come into his home, and he kills them instantly. Yeah, he wasn't necessarily waiting. It was kind of talking about he was just in his his area and could kind of tell. He was he, not so much waiting, but he knew it was coming. Yeah, because what this basically was was he got appointed. Um, Kaidon. Kaidon. Yeah, you got appointed yeah. Kaidon. And if you wanted to kind of vote no confidence, but you were too chicken to vote it, mm-hmm. you would send assassins to test out the new Kaidon. Yeah. And so instantly he kills all three of them, 
So he calls in one of the guards and he's like, hey, call all these. It's like a council. He's like, call these council members. Like, we need a meeting right now. And and it's very early in the morning. And something they really, really dive into Zinghili culture in this because the guard is like, it's really early. And the guy's like, and Thel's like, did I stutter? And the dude's yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. and the dude's like, puts his head down. He's like, I'll never dishonor you again. Yeah, that comes it's, up it's, so much. It's so much about honor. And it's not only your honor. It's your family's lineage honor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he goes in and he shows the council. He literally gets butt na- buck naked for a second. Mm-hmm. He's like, look, not a scratch on me. And he tells the council members, he says, three assassins came to kill me. I killed two of them. One of them just told me who sent me. And he sees like one of the council members. Kind sweating. Of, like, yeah, he's, he's just a gulp. And, and he all, instantly points him out. And he's like, why didn't you just vote no, bro? Why, yeah. why didn't you just why didn't you just stand up? And so he he kills the guy. And so apparently I I like how this was written a lot because Mm -hmm. there's these – it's like your name or your picture is on the wall and this guy was jealous that he wasn't voted Kaidon. And so when Thel kills him, his blood splatters on the wall and it says this is the closest that he will ever be on the wall. Yeah. yeah, His name will be on the wall or something like that. Yeah, it's like being the star athlete. Mm -hmm. You get your name for that year. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of like this is the lineage. Like not only do you have a blood lineage, Mm -hmm. but you have your name etched forever in these stones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one thing, going back to the writing aspect of it as well, that I love that dives even deeper into that Sangheili culture is that at the last moment, basically the traitor, we'll call him the traitor, the guy who didn't vote for him, Mm -hmm. You know, he doesn't plead for his life. Yeah. He says, just spare my family, my lineage. Uh-huh. And then is going to go, like, try and attack, try and pull a weapon out, mm-hmm. gets killed. And then that's when Thel... He, he banishes his lineage. Yeah. So instead of killing all of them, he said, you know, he only did, he did one thing that wasn't cowardice. Yeah. You know, he, he managed to save them. Like, they're now banned out of the clan. I think they have a day or two. Yeah. He said he said they have a day to leave and then we're going to kill him. Mm-hmm. And it, what he did, he, what he said was he didn't beg for his life. He tried to face me. He said, if he would have begged for his life, I would have killed, killed them all, which is just... Their concept of honor is so weird and bizarre, and it just comes up more and more. If you literally look at someone wrong, it's like you could potentially be killed and your family be killed as well. Yeah, because it it, it almost seems like the Sangheili were written or kind of put into it as like the stereotypical we are warriors race. Uh-huh. But there's, it's so much deeper than that. It's very, very deep. It, it's very, it, it's kind of like, it's inspired by Japanese culture mm-hmm. and like fall on your sword kind of thing. Almost to a literal extent. It is because it's, you know, they even talk about it sometimes. If, if I don't have my honor, what do I have? Uh-huh, yeah, if I can't fight, I have no honor. Mm-hmm. Like this crazy kind of shit going on. And then Thel is like, okay, well, I'm going on a mission. So clean up all this shit on the wall that I just caused. See ya. Yeah, because th- I think this is one of, was well, his first mission as Kaidan mm-hmm. from the elders, mm-hmm. from the prophets, basically. Yeah, yeah. And so then afterwards, we move back to Lieutenant Keys. Mm-hmm. So he wakes up, he's alive, and he's kind of just feeling like shit because he's like, well, I think I just screwed everyone over. Yeah. And so as he's getting up and getting ready, all of a sudden, a batch of ODST show up. And they just pick him up and they just take him into this room. And I'm imagining like there's one light above, kind of swinging a little swing, bit, or like someone hits it, so it starts swinging and flashing. Yeah. Well, and and he even says in his head he's like i'm going to die yep like because because we did get a number of the odst back but obviously mm-hmm. not all of them 
And, you know, most importantly, you know, one of them being Faison. Yeah, because Faison walks in the room. He says, basically, it's like, no no one has talked down to me and lived. Mm-hmm. And so Keys kind of curts him. I was like, oh, you're all, you're all crazy bastards and all this shit. And so one of them pulls out a knife. And I'm not going to lie, when I was listening to this with the that Audible audiobook, <laughs> um, I, I was like, I was like, oh, my God, they just pulled out a knife. And, like, all of a sudden, they, like, they remove his sleeve, and he hears this metal buzzing. And he all of a sudden realizes, like, they're giving me a tattoo. Mm-hmm. And even then, I was like... Oh shit! They're like branding his yeah. ass. Like they're 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 like punishing him, and they're gonna put some names on there or something. Yeah, like like this is a person who who went against the ODST. Don't trust him. That's what I thought. Like don't yeah. trust him. Well, I thought they were even just gonna put the like the the symbol on there just to be like you'll always remember us. But then mm-hmm. Phazon is like, you saved all of our lives, and I wouldn't have been able to do that. And yeah. so you found out. It's bizarre that they forced it, but they're like. If you ever need an ODST's help, show them his tattoo. Yeah, and they'll help, you know, regardless of what they're doing. Yeah, it's, it, and it's the Chinese symbol for badass, I think. Mm-hmm. So that was, like, crazy because all of a sudden it's, like, all of them have keys or respect. Yeah. It, it, like, and and you find out it's, like, they were just, like, we're making you one of us, basically. And it's great because then he has to run the gauntlet back out mm-hmm. because he has to leave, like, the closet or wherever they were. Yeah. And all of these ODSTs are lined up and cheering and slapping at his raw tattoo yeah. as he goes by. <laughs> and he's just like, I just want to die. <laughs> well, I think the ODST were inspired by Starship Troopers. And there's that mm-hmm. scene when they get the tattoo and they pour the whiskey on it yep. instantly afterwards. So. I, I don't know. It also definitely this is I think one of the my favorite portrayals of ODSTs actually being batshit crazy. Yeah, because they're just yeah they're crazy. It's that it's that like we we're family and now you're part of this crazy ass family. Mm-hmm. It's like Juggalos. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it, Juggalos of the military. <laughs> you heard it here first. Is that the ODST are pretty comparable to Juggalos. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and then Keys eventually meets back up with Wontanabe. Yeah, and, and because he's, Wontanabe comes up to him and says, you know, out of all this, you're one of the only people I can trust here. Yeah, you have he's, he's Oni, so, yeah, he's, I can trust you now. <laughs> you got a cool tattoo, you're a cool guy, because he is, he is Oni, so he's kind of like skeptical of everyone and everything. Mm-hmm. And he's like, we're gonna go planet side in order to complete this mission, and you're one mm-hmm. of the only people I can trust to do this with. So Wantanabe informs Keys that they're doing this because there's a lot of these outer worlds and even some inner worlds that are getting their hands on covenant weaponry, specifically plasma pistols, plasma rifles. Yeah, and, and they're actually modified. Yeah, because they said that on occasion, kind of like a lot of wars have happened in the past, you would take trinkets home, whether it be an enemy weapon, mm-hmm. you'd trade it for money, or somehow get in someone's hand, so that's normal. Mm-hmm. But there's been this weird, crazy influx, especially modded ones, where instead of seeing like that pressure gauge of yeah. like, plasma being about to run out, there's actually a, a number that tells you how many shots you have left. Yeah, so they're instantly like, something's not right here. Mm-hmm. So they're going down to this insurrectionist base, and they have a contact there. Mm-hmm. Who's kind of helping him uh, pretend to do this arms deal and kind of figure out more about you know this trade going on, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, whether it be their contact or however it happened, they're discovered, and the firefight ensues. Yeah, and it kind of all goes to shit. Eventually, Major Wantanabe is is shot and he's mm-hmm. starting to die, and yeah, so eventually they do get the ODST to come in because their, their boy's in trouble. They got to get their boy out now. Yeah, and unfortunately, 
this is where we lose a friend. Mm-hmm. So one time about, you know, he was he was an acquaintance. I'll give him acquaintance status. Yeah. We knew a little bit. He's some Oni spook, so we're like, eh. Yeah. But this is our friend. This is our pilot from the beginning. Our oh, wisecracking yeah. I, I forgot. pilot. He, yeah. So, yeah, so we lose our good friend Jeffries. He, oh, man, in the audiobook. They do this like badass music behind it. And it's oh, like, every every time there's an accident scene, the music. Comes oh, it's in. so cool. So it's like Jeffries is like flying this pelican. And he's like, "I'm coming in hot, boys. I'm gonna pick you up. We're gonna get the, we're gonna get the f out of here, and we're gonna you know we're gonna go like sip some martinis on a beach. We're gonna get some we're gonna get some ice cream. Yeah, yeah, we're doing it. So so he he comes in. It's actually like really cool to describe. It's like expert pilot, like flying like mm-hmm. scraping rooftops almost because he's like just RPGs. Like they're they're kitted out. They know what they're doing. Yeah. And unfortunately, he dodges a couple, but then right below him, like when he comes like this, like kind of like I guess you can ert in your pelican. Sure. Takes one to the belly. Yep. And then takes another and just dies in a fire explosion. Mm-hmm. And Keys is like, we have to go down and check. And and everyone there is like, we can't. Like, there's nothing we can do. Yeah, because this whole entire time, they're like hit out in this building. And there's a bunch of even civilians mm-hmm. trying to kill them. Yeah. Yeah. Because our, our, our insurrectionist leader, mob leader, I guess is yeah. the best way to describe it. Mob he, maniac. Yeah, because he just started getting everyone kind of amped up. Yeah, like trying he, to fire on people. and He's like an arms dealer, and he's like, anyone who kills them, like, I'm going to give you extra guns. Yeah, you're going to get guns. You're going to get plasma mm-hmm. weapons. You're going to do all this stuff. Yes, yeah, Jason Kincaid, and Kincaid is 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 nuts because he ends up making his way up to this kind of ramparts that they're fighting on this roof, mm-hmm. and he's the one who kills Watanabe. Uh-huh, yeah, but in a poetic justice kind of sense, Keys does kill him. I think with his own plasma weapon, too. Uh-huh, and he just, yeah. like, pops his head off. Well, doesn't he at first just shoot him and downs him and then just walks up to him and, like, caps him in the head? Yeah, because he Maybe shoots, I'm wrong. I think he I think... shoots him in the leg, mm-hmm. and, like, he's down, like, wincing, and he's like, you know, you, you guys have effed up. Like, you're never going to do anything with we're, this. We're going to win one day. And he was, like, I think he was reaching for another sidearm or something, uh-huh. and then that's when Keys shot him. And this is the first human that Keys has ever killed. Yeah, and it, it blows his head clean off. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of see Keys is conflicted by this, but he's an insurrectionist and he sucks, and I don't feel bad about it. No, n- not at all. <laughs> so yeah, eventually ODST do come in, and they just tear through everyone. Like, it, it describes how it's just like, it, they're just robots. They're just, well, and, and Keys... He even has that still because he's all about kind of saving who he can. Mm-hmm. He just yells over it. He's like, the ODSTs are coming in. If you don't want to be part of this calling, go home. Yeah, he's like, if they see you standing in the street, they will kill you. Mm-hmm. Like, so get the fuck out of there. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot. That was, that was really interesting. All these people try to kill him and he still like tried to save Because he understands. Lives. He's like, these, these are people, once again, in a circumstance. And he's like, I mm-hmm. know not all of you are here and trying to follow this guy, because he even throws his body off the edge. Oh, yeah, kind of like make a statement. Yeah, because he's like, I took him out. I can do this to you as well. ODST are on their way in like five minutes or something. Leave. And, and yeah, it's kind of where we, we, we see that happen, and, and ODSTs come in and sweep up. Yeah. The story changes, and now we're... We actually, at first starts, we see the Prophet of Regret. Mm-hmm. And he's watching the world get burnt. Or glassed, yeah. Yep. And so he eventually just kind of gets bored of it, and it's like, eh, whatever, and, like, moves on. Mm-hmm. And they kind of, like, start to think, like, man, how many worlds do these guys live on? Like, kind of thought that first one we found was the one. 
Yeah, because because they're going around burning human worlds specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because for the most part, I could be wrong, but every species of the Covenant just has one world that they live on. So they thought the same thing with humanity. They're like, cool, we got rid of these guys. And then they're like, oh, wait, what's that? Oh, wait, what's that? Shit. This isn't. This is going to be a while. Yeah, they've they've expanded. Yeah, and they they never realize that. But yeah, so it's Prophet of Regret, and he meets up with the Arbiter because the Covenant is having the same problem as the UNSC. They're like, look at this. Like he shows he shows a uh, Thel this plasma rifle. He's like, look at this thing. Tell me what's weird about it. And I love the little detail that like he's surrounded by honor guards, and he's like. Do I pick this up in front of him? One of the honor guards is like, you're good. Yeah. He, he gives him a like, nod, like, you're fine. But he sees the numbers on there. They're like, they're tampering with our weapons. That's mm-hmm. heresy. You need to you need to go. We're, we're going to send you with some Jirohanai and some Kigyar. You need to go to this this human world. What is it? 23 Libre. You need to go to the 23 Libre system, not world system. You need to find out who is trading with the humans. Yeah, because... Obviously, kind of how humans are thinking, like, who's betraying us by trading with the Kigyar, they're thinking, what race, you know, who out there is betraying us and, and altering these weapons and creating heresy and, and possibly helping these humans out? Mm. Yeah, so they, they make their way to, is it Hesoid, I think? And then eventually we see that the Jirohana and the Kigyar, the Kigyar, uh, there's a ship mistress on there. They betray Vadami. Mm-hmm. They're like, ah, guess what? We don't like you. Because even Thel expressed, like, I don't want to work with brutes and kid yard. Yeah. They have no honor. They're stupid. They yeah. suck. They probably, I don't know what they do. They're both out do. for themselves. Yeah. So they're like, nah, we ain't we ain't doing this. But they, they had to. And then Thel was kind of right with not wanting to work with them because they betray him. So they board their ship and they kidnap him. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I do want to mention that Thel did get a promotion in this. Because he thought he was, like, in trouble for some reason. He did end up getting a promotion for all this, and now he's kidnapped. Yeah, and, and obviously being kidnapped by a lesser species, especially for him, is such a dishonor. Mm-hmm. And like, there's no way I can show my face back Yeah, and show the prophets this. Like, I have to do something. Mm-hmm. And so now we're back with Keys and the crew on the Midsummer Night. Mm-hmm. And they, at this point, had been following the Kestrel. This was the ship that we had our, our Spartans earlier kind of mm-hmm. talking about and mm-hmm. trying to get information in the bar. Yeah. So they have been kind of stalking this ship. And they're like, this is really easy. They're not even noticing us until they come across Covenant ship. And they're kind of like, uh-oh, this is not good. Yeah. What are the Covenant doing out here like by these rocks? And like, mm-hmm. why is the Kessel so cool going by this? Yeah, yeah, and this is kind of where they find the rubble, correct? Yeah, and this is where we describe it. It's it's a, it's a apparently an anomaly. It's it's kind of what they say everyone pictures asteroid belts to be. Mm-hmm. They're like super tight knit asteroids right next to each other, and you can't get through it. But in reality, it's really spread out. So uh-huh. when they're seeing this huge group of asteroids, like within a mile or so of each other, all grouped together, and then when they zoom in even tighter, they're like, oh. They have connectors and bridges, and this is a yeah. this is a, a living place. Yeah, and and that's the rubble. Mm-hmm. And so then it does. They they do say, okay, we're we're gonna kind of sneak in there. Let's see what's going on. And that's when it moves back to Thel, and Thel and his bridge crew are currently they're in they're in the rubble. Yep, and they're they're in this prison, 
and they realize like uh yeah as you said like like oh shit they're kind of like oh shit we are kind of dishonored here and even one of his bridge crew is uh is like injured it was it like jora corn cornery yeah yeah it was uh jora jora was kind of his right hand man he actually threw himself at the attackers unarmed just like charging in bah! yeah he just he did that just waving his arms just <laughs> running in blah, blah, blah. and then and then he got a uh, shot up yeah he and so he he's talking to Thel and he's like listen here's here's a uh like a bedpost that i've been sharpening into a spear yeah because i'm, I'm they, worthless and that's when they realized too they're in this human base because like there's a human bed here uh-huh. so i took one of the metal posts and he sharpened it down to basically like a, a spear. death spear yeah yeah and he's like uh i can't fight so i'm useless let me die with honor here's mm-hmm. that honor thing again so Thel's like all right, and just sticks it in his head, mm-hmm. and so yeah, instantly we're we're kind of learning more about that that honor thing, where it's like if they can't even fight, then they need to have someone else kill them, or they're not going to die with honor. Yeah, they have to die with with. In this case, this was you know his his shipmaster and his kind of like mm-hmm. friend above him is like it would bring me honor if you were the one to do this, and mm-hmm. so like you said, going down that honor tree of like someone more honorable in their eyes doing it would give them an honorable death instead of them just going out on someone else's terms. Yeah, and so eventually they're kind of like, they're going to try to get some ransom out of us. Like, this is kind of just this weird split-off faction of the KGR. They're going to try to get some ransom from us. Little do they know that Sangheili don't do that. We don't care. We will never do that. So he's like, so they should have killed us. So they do use that spear to kill their Ungoy guard. Because the gravity goes out, and the Ungoy is just floating around, uh-huh. which I love, and they just, like, spear him through the, the air at that yeah. point. Because and, and, yeah. he was taunting him earlier as well. Yeah, he was saying, like, not so big and mighty now. Uh-huh. And well, it's like, well, guess what? We just speared your ass. Yeah, and they, like, pull him in. They break down the bars because it's only, you know, asteroidness. Yeah. In. <laughs> and uh, I love that they open the door, and they're like, you know, you should always kill Sangheili. Yeah, never take them for prisoners because mm-hmm. this is what happens. Like, badass. I, I the, the culture is weird, but I just, all these Sangheili in this book are badass. Yeah, and, and it's, it's great because then they, they start to escape and they, they fell and the, the rest of the Sangheili were in there, uh, make their escape out of the prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so then on the Midsummer Night, it's back to Zang and... He's like, uh oh, uh, everyone at the Rebel knows we're here. Mm-hmm. We're not that sneaky. I kind of screwed up. So basically, they are like, all their engines are taken offline. But yeah, and so they're kind of freaking out because they're like, uh, you know, we're we're about to get captured by, and we don't know much about the Rebel. So it's like insurrectionists. These insurrectionists are going to capture us. And so this is where things kind of take a crazy turn. Yeah, and and so they they start to realize that when they were trying to make the jump out to space again, that their engines overheated mm-hmm. and just were completely down. And no one was really understanding why. And when they start to look around and figure out that it was sabotage, because they're talking to the engineering group, they're kind of looking around, seeing who it was. And then you have Lieutenant Badia Campbell pulls a pulls a sidearm. And Everyone's like, no, like you, you don't have to do this. And you realize that she is an intra- insurrectionist sympathizer. It's like, yeah. my, my family's from the outer worlds and you didn't really care. Yeah. And as people start to approach her, she starts firing. Mm-hmm. And she hits some people in the leg. She grazes some others. But the, one of the biggest things is that she shoots Zhang in the stomach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And that's when all of a sudden everyone topples on top of her. Yeah, and Keys, Keys was the one who ends up like fighting with her and wrestling for a gun. Mm-hmm. I love at one point she just like knees him in the crotch and it's like, but Keys could fight through it. And like, <laughs> and of course. Yeah. And like was able to like get the gun from her and, and, and you know, get it out of there and then well, well, it would help the bridge. Well, no, because what happens is she they find out she's on some kind of, I guess, like a, a, a temporary steroid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's because that's, she yeah. because all of a sudden she's like, again, like they're going to win one day. And all of a sudden she's it's like she has like three guys fighting her and somehow she can still take the gun and point it directly at her head. Yeah, because like, Keys, was, Keys was trying to wrench it away. But like you said, it's it's as he tries to like get it, she somehow goes into like super cocaine mode and yeah. just starts like pulling it towards her I and then shoots like, herself in yeah, the head. Yeah, like cyanide steroids or something that she clipped out of her teeth or some crazy shit. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then just like kills herself. So it's just like, well, shit, this just happened. Like Zhang is now dying, like currently dying. He goes over to tend to Zhang and Zhang dies in this process. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're, we're losing a lot of people relatively quickly in this book. Like, And, and one of the coolest things that the author really puts in there is we we learned earlier that no one really wanted to travel with Zhang mm-hmm. because he was seen as a reckless pilot. He actually yeah. rammed his previous ship into a Covenant ship on a suicide mission, and you know everyone's freaking out. Like he lost crew, he was rescued from the vacuum of space, mm-hmm. but it did bring the ship down, the shields at least for mm-hmm. Mac rounds to go in and hit it. Well, the people were saying, oh, it's because the Covenant killed his family. Exactly. So he's this crazy, vengeful guy, but he tells Keys, like, I did that because we were going, like, there was no other way. Mm-hmm. This wasn't a revenge thing. This was me looking at all my options, saying, this is what I need to do. Yeah, and, and he's like, this is for humanity. This is for the UNSC. This, mm-hmm. is, this is how we can win this battle. Yeah. And actually going back... With Lieutenant Campbell, like when she's going on her firing spree, like she brings that up. She's like, "You're you're crazy. Like you're going to get us all killed." Mm-hmm. Yeah, like she's like, "Do you even know who this guy is?" Yeah, yeah. So I, I, that was kind of a sad scene because he was just like, "Hey, by the way, before I die, I don't suck that bad." Like just so you know. Yeah, and, I, and it's kind of those parting words of wisdom. It's like kind of like I also respect you, Keys. Like mm-hmm. I want you to know actually what went down, and I know you have to make hard choices. Like I want you to know. The real reason behind mine and why, you know, I let people spread the rumors if they want. There's no point in me trying to defend all this. Like, Mm -hmm. I know what I did, and Mm -hmm. that's on me. Yeah. So they are brought down to the rebel. And I the the leader tells him, like, listen, this is where we learn, like, we don't care who you are. We're a refugee kind of asteroid world, whatever you want to call it, like— we accept anyone. Cause, yeah, cause, and they even say, like, we're a full democracy. We vote on everything. We'll vote on everything. What do you want for dinner tonight? Mm. We vote on it. Yeah. Privacy of your home doesn't matter. Two-ply or one-ply? Let's vote on Always it. Always two. <laughs> I, I don't know. They may <laughs> vote one. I'm doubling my ply to drive this. <laughs> so, yeah, so Keys is basically kind of gives this small speech, like, mm-hmm. uh, let's not do this. L- let's not do this. This kind of sucks. And so instantly they're like, okay, you're going to jail. So, so. The reason that being is they were allowing the crew. They said, we want to welcome you. If you want to become citizens, you're more than welcome to become a citizen of the Rebel. The only thing that we say is you have to swallow this tracker. Because obviously, we oh, want yeah, we yeah, to we yeah, we make sure that you guys are doing good. Yeah, chip you like whatnot. a dog kind of thing. Like, yeah, and, and, and you get off your leash. We know where you are. And the crew's like, obviously, like some of probably the newer recruits or the custodian. They'd yeah. be like, yeah, sure, that sounds good. Like, I'll join. <laughs> But that's when Phazon is like, Keys, 
you're the commander. There's the, the, the ODST are not joining this rebel group. Mm-hmm. I just want you to know that. Yeah. He's like, but you need to give a speech for the rest of the crew. And Keys gives this kind of like lukewarm, like, guys. It's kind of cheesy. We're in space together. <laughs> and we've been in space together. You know what we should do? Still be in space together. I was needing the crotch. Yeah. But I fought through <laughs> it. But I fought through it. My voice is a little squeaky right now, but <laughs> I'm recovering. So, yeah, it was, it was kind of like this lukewarm speech, and Faison's like, that's the best you got? Okay. It, it was kind of one of those things, like, one person claps, yeah, and, yeah. and the person next uh, to him, sympathy. like, stops him from clapping. Yeah, yeah so so Faison and a handful of other crew don't join, but Keys notices a bunch of ODSTs are like, nah, we're going to join, and he's like, Faison, what the hell? He's like, feet first. Mm-hmm. So basically saying like nah they're infiltrating. Yeah. Like they're not they're not actually No, they'll be, the, be the first ones in, like so they can disrupt when they have to disrupt. Mm-hmm. So Delgado returns back to the rubble and instantly Bonifacio's kind of henchman, I guess you can call it. Kit like take him in. They're like, All right, you're coming with us. And we find out that the council actually thinks that it's that it's Delgado who is kind of the smuggler or, you know, who's who's giving this information to the kid you Yeah, are. because they were saying... Um, a lot of politics. Yeah, that, that him and his friend who had passed away from the gunshot, that they were the only ones who really knew about it, mm-hmm. and that it was possibly Delgado who got his friend killed, Yeah, so that he could then sell it to the kid you are. And Delgado's like, you are the ones who hired me for this. Like, why would <laughs> I be part of this? And so to kind of detain him for now and to talk about what they're going to do, you have... Uh, Bonifacio is like, oh, you know, I'll take him uh, with my guys and like, we'll go talk it through and, and we'll, we'll figure it out. Don't, don't worry. We'll be right back. Yeah, we'll be right back. He's like a gun behind his back. He's like, oh, we're, we're good. Yeah. And this is where uh, some, some shit kind of hits the fan. Mm-hmm. So Delgado, who was, you know, kind of talking with the guard when they're there. The guard's name is Owen. Don't ask me why I remember that. It's the only time that gets. And he's watching up. Netflix. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> literally yeah. it. Yeah. So, so Owen, the, the Netflix watching guard, you know, but Delgado's talking to him. He's like, "Dude, why are you? Why are you doing this? Like, there's, why am I here? Why, you know, obviously, you guys are only keeping me here because you're going to kill me. Like, you're waiting mm-hmm. for this nav data and stuff to happen. And so that's when he learns that the Kestrel, which is Bonifacio's ship, was mm-hmm. sabotaged by the Spartans we saw earlier. Yeah. And the nav data that was on there was destroyed, and as a result. Bonifacio needs Delgado's data. So, like, mm-hmm. he had went in, pulled his own, and was like, that'll be extra just in case. Like, mm-hmm. that'll be the backup. But now the main copies yeah. that I have is dead. So I need it. And so instead of um, Delgado dying at, you know, whenever Bonifacio wanted to kill him, he's like, all right, you got to take me to it now. Yeah. So, yeah, they go, they go back to the council, and he kind of learns about the Exodus project, but they're, mm-hmm. they're kind of, like, pushing back on letting him know. Exactly what it is, what's yeah. happening, like, all that yeah. stuff. But, but they learn, like, okay, we need your navigation data. So Diego and Bonifacio are like, all right, let's go and get this with Delgado. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of goes south from there because it's... They, they get in this weird Mexican standoff at one point. So, yeah, but they eventually get the navigation data, and Bonifacio is like, hey, let me carry that. And Diego's like, no, I, I'm fine. I, I just I want to make sure it gets back to the council. And Bonifacio is like, I was afraid you were going to say that, and shoots him. Kind of like, I, I kind of actually like that cliche. I was afraid you were going to say that, mm-hmm. and shoots him. 
And then they lock Diego and Delgado in this ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they were on the Distancia, which is Delgado's ship. And that's uh-huh. they kind of made the joke of like, oh, you hit it right under your own nose. It's like, got to hide it in plain sight. Otherwise, people go snooping around everywhere else. So, yeah, so, so Diego's shot and tries to fire on Delgado. Delgado doesn't get shot, survives it through. Sleazebag. Mm-hmm. And, and you learn that whenever he, whenever Bonifacio sabotaged the ship's airlock, he basically did it in a way that it wasn't an emergency. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, oh, it's jammed. It's a routine repair. Yeah. So no one could radio out. And he's like, you know, someone from repairs will be up to see you eventually. Mm, yeah. So basically you guys are going to suffocate and die. Yeah. Here. You guys are, are going to lose all your oxygen. And that's when he's like, I have a get out of jail free card. Mm-hmm. Here's this uh, Spartan tube beacon that I have. So, so he, he activates the beacon and then the story now changes and we're back to Thel and the rest of his surviving elites. Mm-hmm. And they're just kicking ass, and they ca- they take over the Kigyar ship on the surface of Medicit. And what we learn, what Medicit is, it's this kind of, what is it, like a moon? Yeah, world? It's, it's, a, it's a moon. It's, it's a large moon where the Kigyar have set up, and they have started breeding mm-hmm. the grunts. Basically, it's like a, a grunt utopia. Yeah, because it's actually methane rich. Uh-huh. So there's there's not water. There's liquid methane mm-hmm. that these rivers run through. So they're actually able to breathe, kind of wherever they they can. And the Kigyar have made this weird nesting mm-hmm. area out of like ship parts because they're like scavenger pirates. So they can't, yeah, they only like build off of. They can't create. They just kind of take pieces and Lego it up. Yeah. Well, because they find this out because they're talking to this this grunt. And he refers to it this place as like a dream because mm-hmm. they're like, why are you being vague? And he describes like it's methane rich. It's just this paradise. And we don't have any breeding restrictions because they breed like rabbits. Like yeah. you learned, like I think we learned that in Contact Harvest that they needed to be restricted for breeding. Well, that's whenever the Kigyar really got on them and yeah. started like poisoning all like. Uh, mm-hmm. The female grunts and all those things from yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. And so eventually, Thel and the rest of his men, they kidnap Reth, and he's the leader of the Kigyar of, of this like operation kind yeah, of. That's on the moon. Yeah. Because he, he's realizing he has like an army. Because when they're talking to that grunt, they're like, what does he have? Like a couple hundred? And he's like, no, he's like a couple thousand. And he's like tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Mm-hmm. Like, which they're basically like, if you have like 10,000 grunts, they don't need weapons. Yeah. It's literally just a, a number. It's just a wall of teeth and like claws running at yeah, you. Yeah, suffocating from lack of methane yeah. they're not getting at that point. But I always thought that was interesting that they had like this kind of paradise. As I said, like these, I think they talk about the specific methane waterfall. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, because that same, that same prison guard grunt was like, Whenever the Kigyar, so, so we actually, I think we learned from that grunt too, mm-hmm. a little bit of the Kigyar's plan, and that they are actually going to eventually, you know, take over the rubble because it's the perfect breeding ground for Kigyar. Like the, the mm-hmm. craters and everything are perfect. And he's like, mm-hmm. once the Kigyars deal with the humans, like, you know, all of us get the methane rich moon. Uh huh. Yeah. And we can live here happy. But yeah, so Thel and the rest of the elites just are beating the shit out of 
Reth. Like, mm-hmm. and he's telling them the truth. He's like, "Yo, uh, Prophet of Truth sent me to do this." Yeah, like, just an FYI, Prophet of Truth sent me to do this, and they're like, "Bullshit!" Like, we're they're on like, a holy mission. We're on a mission from regret to stop you guys from doing this. He's like, "Dude, it's like one of those things." He's like, "I'm, I'm telling you the truth. Like, I, I cannot make this up." And so. They're worried at this point because they're like, okay, are we committing heresy right now? What mm-hmm. are we doing? Because – and Thel's like, no, we're on a mission from the prophet. Yeah. Like we don't know that this is you know, against another prophet's will. We're just doing what we're told. Like we, we, we can't freak out about this right now. We got to calm down. Because up until this point, if you heard one thing from one prophet – that meant it kind of came from all of them. Like, they're all on that mm-hmm. same trajectory. Yeah, and now we kind of find out that's not the case at mm-hmm. all. But then, yeah, eventually Reth still has some ungoy that are under his banner because the elites did, like, recruit some ungoy. Like, hey, we're going to kill you if you don't help us. Yeah, because they, they talked to the deacon that was in that ship that they mm-hmm. stole, and it was like, you got two choices, join us or die. Yeah, and then Reth is like... You got two choices. Stay with them and live or come with me and live. It doesn't matter. Just come on. Help me out. Help me yeah. out. So they get out of there. So then the story moves now back. This is like chapter 75 or something at this point. About 610, yeah. <laughs> so it goes now to Delgado. And mm-hmm. great team shows up to save them. Diego's dead, but they're able to save Delgado in the process. And I believe he, he's passed out. So they, they recover both bodies limp. And that's when Jai asked, like, two of them. And we learned that, yeah, Diego did not make it. He suffered, you know, blood loss, nothing they could do. So whenever Delgado wakes up and is like, he realizes that his friend is dead, he's on this ship, you know, he's panicking. You know, like anyone would, who's lack of oxygen kind of coming back to life. Mm-hmm. And once things have settled down between them, they start talking about what all happened on the ship. And talking about that Bonifacio had taken the data mm-hmm. and he's going to give it to the Kigyar. And the Spartans are like... Hmm. So the Kigyar are probably really only here for that data because there's why else would they care? Yeah. Like they're they're trading with pirates. They're both kind of pirate species. Species. They're both pirate people, as, as <laughs> yeah. people say. So they're like, yeah, that's that's probably all they want. Yeah. So we need to devise a plan to make sure that they do not get their hands on it. Yeah. And so they're kind of like, well, Let's uh, let's take over one of the ships. Like, let's go. Let's attack one of the the Kigar ships so we can find out their plans for sure. Like, specifically know what the fuck they're doing. And as this plan is going on, this is I believe this is the part where we meet Juliana, which is the Rubble's AI. Uh huh. Very rampant mm-hmm. AI. So she's what seven or eight years at this point. I th- I think eight because she's fighting off rampancy. Mm-hmm. At this that's right. Point. And and she's saying like I. I will do what I can for this because I want to save the rubble. Mm -hmm. And what you can do is you can take me and get me on a Kigyar ship and we can figure out their communique and kind of what's going on and why they're doing this. And so backtracking a little bit, they then use that data to kind of talk about, Hey, this is what the Kigyar want. Mm -hmm. They want that. Now we have this, these, this mission set set up. Mm-hmm. To kind of figure out what we're going to do. Yeah, well, they, what what they eventually do is they go and they take back the Midsummer Night. They go and they liberate Keys and the ODST. Yeah, because I, I think with Juliana, I was like, oh, your people are on the planet. Just go get them. Yeah, so they go and they liberate them, and then they do take back the Midsummer 
summer night. Mm-hmm. So it's cool. Like we're kind of getting this this giant reunion now. Kind of like what all these books kind of start to lead up to. We kind of start seeing the wheels start turning, and it, it starts to make for some really cool things that are going to go down. And I think like this last third of the book that we're in or so or last quarter Mm -hmm. so they devise a plan and they're like all right infinite spoils that kick your ship let's go get it yeah because that's that's the ship docked in mm -hmm. with the rubble and so juliana's like get me in that nav like that nav data i'll be able to to do this yeah i'll be able to figure out what's going on what is their actual plan you know, are there reinforcements? Who's here? Who's who are we actually fighting, basically? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they do like Delgado does kind of like quote unquote join. He's like part of the ranks now. Not or he he doesn't join the UNSC, but he's fighting with them. Yeah, he's kind of like that cool rebel fighter pilot in yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I guess I'll which which guess is, I'll join you. There is tension with that. We see yeah, because and, and, the UNSC yeah. are pissed about it. Because he's not, he kind of is in an insurrectionist. He's like a recovering insurrectionist. Well, it's because him and uh, Maria and her family, they were able to escape their home planet. And they unfortunately were the only ones to make it. Their parents didn't, the rest of their family didn't. And they kind of got adopted by Diego. And so we see that he was never an insurrectionist, more of a refugee who just found work. Yeah, he kind of with rolled them. with the insurrectionists. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, so they do make their way on to the infinite spoils. And I know that Delgado's on there and he's with a few ODST phase on being one of them. Mm-hmm. And as they're making their way through, all of a sudden, phase on gets shot. Yeah, because I believe phase on and Delgado was still on the ship, kind of like processing data, making sure stuff was going right. Mm-hmm. And then that's when one of the Spartans kind of warns and is like, hey, there's there's uh, elites here. Like, we're dealing with this stuff. And they're like, oh, and they're like, okay, okay, we got to get Delgado and, and, like, all of, like, the techie people off, and we got to go. Mm-hmm. So that's when Faison finds them. They start going, and Faison's got his rifle. Delgado's got his trusty sidearm. Senor Ces. Senor Ces. And they're going through. And so they're kind of like, okay, let's let's go, let's go. They're taking out a couple KGR stuff. But then... Phazon runs a corner too fast and gets plasma shot, I think, right to the side. I think it's, like, it's in the thigh because it hits that main artery. Mm -hmm, Yeah, it hits the main artery, like, in the side of his thigh. And he goes down, and he's like, oh, like, that's my fault. And Delgado turns around with him, like, takes out the rest of the covenant that's there, and he's like, all right, I'm going to stay with you. He's like, like, I'm lost. He's like, I I know I'm done. Mm -hmm. You have to go. Like, we have to keep fighting this. He's like, I'm staying with you. And he's like, you need to get out of here. Like, there's, there's... there's nothing you can do. I need you to continue this fight. He's mm-hmm. like, you know, you're, you know, and they, then they have like that heartfelt moment. It's like, you know, you're pretty badass for like an insurrectionist, like, yeah, this stuff. And so he's like, give me your sidearm, take my rifle. Yeah. And that's when Delgado's like, no, seriously, like, we're going to make it. He's like, no, no, I don't want to give him my gun. Yeah. He's like, no. And then, then he has like the, you know, he takes Senor Ace and he's like, this is a nice piece. And he's like, yeah, my <laughs> grandfather made it. He's like, I can tell I put care into it. And so yeah. then they unfortunately part. But before, Delgado leaves too far. He radios in. He's like, you know, he's down. Get a Spartan or someone over here mm-hmm. to come help him. Yeah, and then the narrative switches, and it's actually and and I, I know we keep kind of talking about we talk about Thel and his new second in command is Czar, mm-hmm. and so him and Czar are kind of just like strolling along, walking and like talking. It's almost like a casual conversation they're having through the ship because Phazon then fires at Czar. And yeah. Czar like almost like gets like jumps and like shoots him in the head and was like, 
Yeah, because he, he gets shot like twice, right? He gets like mm. shot twice, and like the armor doesn't really do much. But he's like, "Whoa!" Yeah. If that was a bit like a strong weapon, I could have been dead. Yeah, it, it like sh- shook him. He's like, he's like, "Holy shit!" Like, did you see that? Yeah, like one of those like comedic moments. But then, and I love this misinterpretation of things. Mm-hmm. Like Zar's like, fell. Like, look at this. He was wounded. He had no more honor. He wanted to die with honor, so he set himself up as a trap. And Zars to the point he's like, clearly they they kind of do fight with honor. Like, why aren't we working with them? Why aren't they haven't they been recruited yet? We've recruited all these other species. Like, we work with Grunts and Jack or or was uh, Ungoy and Kid Yar. Like, yeah. Why aren't we working with the humans? And Thel's kind of like, you need to stop. That's that's heresy. That's yeah, that's into heresy. And right as they're they're continuing the conversation, Jai just shows up out of nowhere like a freaking tank mm-hmm. and attacks Thel. Mm-hmm. And they and they have this this quick confrontation, and Thel realizes like, oh shit, this this human's as strong as me. Yeah, this is the first time that I think really any of the covenants that are around there have run into Spartans so mm-hmm. far. Yeah, because they're still in the outer world and li- and li- especially live to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And so Thel's like kind of like trying to fight him off, and eventually. Jai sees like face on's gone, so he's like, "I'm out." Yeah, he's like, and so Thel is now shaken as well because like, did you just see that? Like, this guy just went toe to toe with me, hand in hand combat. And was equal. Yeah, like we're equals. Like this is terrifying now. Yeah, he's like, because because and that's too when they even first bring up demon because he's like because uh-huh. he's looking at the gold faceplate and he's like, who in combat wouldn't actually show their face if yeah. not for like a demon. Yeah, well cuz they think it's like they're 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 soulless. They have mm-hmm. no soul. Like who is this black like it was just like a black visor and he just sees this reflection. He's like who is this faceless monster? So it's like kind of cool to see like Spartans are striking are now striking fear into the hearts of elites, especially Thel being kind of scared. Mhm. And so now we are in space over to Mike and Adriana's mission. So the Spartans mm-hmm. had split off earlier, one to go take out Bonifacio with the data, mm-hmm. the other one to obviously support the ODST and everyone on the ground mm-hmm. or on the rock. And so Adriana decides, all right, you keep the ship because in case this is a trap or something goes bad, you need to go. Mm-hmm. So drop me off, get out of here, and we'll go. And so Adriana starts in. She's like in the airlock, pss, waiting. Doors open. Love and the she, sound effects. It's sound effects. It has to, that's how you know it's an airlock. <laughs> and as it opens, she immediately takes a couple shots to like the midsection, a uh-huh. couple pistol rounds. So she pulls back. She double checks, like basically just shield, a couple dents. Mm-hmm. She's like, uh, shoot first, ask questions later. That's the Spartan way. That's what I should have done. Yeah. So she turns, like pops like two of them. There's like three guards. Yeah. Pops two of them. And the last one just slides his pistol into the airlock and is like, I'm unarmed. This isn't what I signed up for. Yeah. Like, I'm just a hired guard. I'm yeah, not actually, one of those like, cliches. I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. I literally just signed up to, like, guard some random dude so that, like, a street thug wouldn't take him on, not a yeah. seven-foot Spartan. Yeah, so it's, it's just kind of like, all right, well, see ya. Yeah, it's what? like, okay, like, see you later. Yeah, get the fuck out of here. But yeah, and this is where she, well, it was, isn't it Bonifacio, like, on an escape pod? Yeah, so, so she's like, because she asked the guy before, or she's like, peace out. Where's Bonifacio? And the guy's like, oh, he's on a skate pod. I, I can show you. And then I believe it's over like radio comms. Mm-hmm. Bonifacio's like, hey, you got two choices. Like the data is in there. Here's, you know, here's our options. I leave. I get out of this sector. And then you can do whatever you want. Yeah. 
Or, you know, and then she's like, no, I'm just going to kill you now because I believe you have the data. He's like, how about this? I get out of shooting range of you guys. <laughs> I, I, he's literally like, I, I kind of get out of shooting range. Yeah. So if I'm lying, you can maybe catch up to me. Yeah, you could catch up to me eventually. But I'm not. And so like, it, it ends up being kind of like what we already said, hidden in plain sight. It's right above the airlock door that she came in. It's literally, yeah, she's just, it's like, are you shitting me? Yeah. But yeah, she, like he, he does eventually make his way out because he, he they, they make that deal. And so then that's when they get off that ship. Mm-hmm. Leaving our unfortunate guard behind because she's like, someone will, you know, come out to get you in a week or two. Yeah, he thinks he's just going to tag along. Yeah, she's like, no, no thank you. Not son, not today. But yeah, so, so after that whole series of events, everyone kind of meets back up. And this is where Juliana informs them like, hey the Kigyar are going to use their Ungoy army and they're going to attack the rubble. Mm-hmm. Like they, they, they want this area. Now we need to figure out a way to fight this off. And so this is where they kind of talk about the Exodus project. Yeah. Because I believe around this point when Bonifacio is just kind of like coasting through space, he gets Reth on the phone. Oh yeah. 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 He's like, ring, ring buddy. It's me. And he's like, Oh, Hey, how's it going? It's like nothing, just chilling this escape pod. How are you? You know, it's like I'm good, friend. Yeah, and then and he says, "I need help. You know, I, I need I need to be picked up." And Wrath is like, "You got that data?" <laughs> well, so here's the thing, I I do and I don't. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I know where it is. And Wrath says, and "Where is it?" And he's like, "Okay, so it's gonna be on that rock over there. It's gonna be called Exodus. Uh, that's their plan for escape and and whatnot." And then Wrath's like, "Cool, thanks, man." Yeah, he's like, whoa, don't you want to know who has it? He's like, nah, I know enough. Nah, I know enough. I'll, I'll figure it out. Thanks. And then just leaves him. Because, mm-hmm. like, Bonif- like, you realize Bonifacio is just this chicken shit dude who tries to talk his way out of every situation he's in. And it worked with Adriana, but it didn't work with the Reth. Reth's like, I got just enough information out of you. Yeah, I need what I want. I I, I got to go to this place. I have, like, 400,000 Ungoy that can just come through there. Yeah, we'll mm-hmm. be good. Yeah, like, we're good to go. See ya, pal. And... We kind of go to Reth, kind of talking about why he's going to take Exodus at this point, realizing that if he takes this world and kills the humans there, that he'll get more kind of notoriety and be able to kind of outmaneuver the Sangheili and get mm-hmm. more respect from the prophets, like hopefully pushing the Kigar further in and, and attempting that. So we kind of get that point of view, and then we snap back to Keys, who devises a plan to stop this whole invasion force. And what they're going to do is begin evacuating people to Exodus, using that nav data that they have to kind of hopefully get them to jump out. Mm-hmm. Because they had the question of, do we just leave them here? Yeah. Or do we save them? Because I believe he meets with Maria at one point when they're kind of talking. is like, we have a million citizens here. Like, we need to do something. So Keys, yeah. being the sweetheart that he is. he's The like, cheese ball he is. Oh, yeah. He's like, okay. You know, I, I've lost all these other people. This is like my redemption's arc. Yeah. Like this, I can save these people. Mm-hmm. And so that they decide that they're going to evacuate. Um, they would also bombard Metaset because they know that's kind of where the Kigyar main base is. Uh-huh. And then they're also going to unleash the rubble on them. So it's kind of the Juliana plan of it as well. Yeah. And to start that, Juliana, the AI, informs them that the Kigyar's surface defenses must be destroyed first before any of these kind of plans of destruction will be mm-hmm. able to come out. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, when the rubble 
is guided towards them, like the rocks are flying at them, they're just going to be shot out. Yeah. Like they have AA guns. They have all the stuff that can deal with that. So they need to get someone ground side first to deal with it. Yeah. And so don't they, they plan a nuke there, right? Yeah, because they have two objectives that they have to go to. It's an anti-air battery, mm-hmm. and then it is the sensor station to like know what's coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so as they're doing that, this is doesn't it switch to Reth at this point where he's kind of like on bed rest? From his, like, torture with, with from the Zangheili. Yeah, and that kind of goes back to, like, his story of, like, okay, we need to take over the rubble. Uh-huh. Like, if we can do that, we'll earn respect. Like, the Kigyar will be beautiful, amazing people. And so the, the, the mission's in place. We've got the Midsummer's Night kind of going up while back at base we have some of the rebel mm-hmm. ships kind of fighting around with some other Kigyar ships. So Midsummer's Night makes it up, drops these pelicans... And then also hot drops these ODSTs the same time, like at a, faster than they should be going, because they did this sweet move where they like, jumped into the atmosphere and used the atmosphere to slow them down, while also like speed, like slingshotting them, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, yeah. To kind of bring them around, to drop these pelicans off, and so they drop down halfish, maybe a little bit more of the ODSTs make it, whether it be from dying from impact or dying from AA. Mm-hmm. And one that kind of falls off by herself is Adriana. And she's actually upside down or like like the, the, the face of it is in the ground. Yeah. So she actually like uses the like the emergency release that shoots it off and it just goes. And it's like, oh, I'm facing down. Yeah. So she has to like actually use her armor, lift it off her and, and throws it over. Yeah. Unbeknownst to her, she is in with thousands of ungoy who are boarding ships. Yeah. And they had left her alone because, like, oh, nothing came out of it. It's like they're dead or there's nothing in it. Yeah. And then doesn't she, she, she goes and fights them off, correct? So what she does is, so she, she starts shooting them and realizes, like, I can't do this. Jumps back in to the drop pod because they have this kind of emergency engine that's in there that'll fire if, like, you're stuck somewhere. You have to, like, reach a higher point. You can shoot it off and it'll go up again. Mm-hmm. But it's on its side. So she fires it off while she's in it, just running over Ungoy, and she like, looks up after she's done, like, leaves a spray of purple all around. Beautiful. Beautiful. And pulls a rocket launcher out from it, fires everything she has, killing her. She's like, I can't do anything with this. Knows that there's an ammo dump nearby, because some of the pods are ammo dumps. Mm-hmm. Goes and tries to find them. Finds up with her, or joins back up with her ODSTs who dropped. They continue with their mission. They end up... Uh, setting nukes at both locations yeah, to go ahead and set off and destroy the AA guns, destroy any eyes that they have in the sky. But yeah, so then that's the point to where we see that the rubble is now being used against the Covenant or this faction. Mm-hmm. So Juliana breaks off pieces of the rubble and flies it into medicine. Yep. And eventually takes out Reth with it. Yeah, because she basically flies, like, there's two main portions of the rubble that she flies in. And it's slower, but she can control it. And it's it's beautifully poetic because Reth is kind of talking about the nukes that went off. And he's like, oh, man, they destroyed these things. It's going to take a lot of resources to build them back up, but we'll be good. Mm-hmm. And as he's saying this, there's, like, these meteorites kind of flying around. And it's lighting up the sky. And he's like, what is everybody looking at? And just sees a giant asteroid coming right at his base, yeah, crushing him and all that's in there. And it's beautiful. And also, this is like kind of around the time that Thel and Zar are kind of figuring out, like, what can we do to regain some honor? Mm-hmm. Like, we're kind of in trouble. We're like, 
Well, what if we, like they they start looking at the Exodus project? They're like, well, let's just get that. Yeah, like that that'll help. Like clearly the Kid Yar are screwing up so much right now. Let's just try to take that. Mm-hmm. They'll because from before we're we're seeing them. I believe they took well, they took Infinite Spoils as their own, and they realized you know, the Kid Yar are done. It's like a moon blasting them. It's a moon blasting yeah. a moon basically. So they're like, we're gonna take the Exodus because that's where everything is, that's where it's going to be. But at the same time, on Exodus, there was a volunteer f- force being started up mm-hmm. and basically getting equipped. Like, we've got like 3,000 Ungoy here. we we got to kill them all before we go. And I believe that later on, whenever the Midsummer Night joins back up with Exodus, the Spartans jump on like, oh, we're going to kill him? All right. And, you know, just making sure that every, every Ungoy and whatever else is on board dead. So... It was uh, like a suicide mission, yeah. Right? It's a because suicide it, mission because Thel, Thel like looks at the 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 Ungoy and they're like, "Why are you looking at us?" And he's like, "We're gonna we're gonna send them to take this." And Zar's like, "They're all gonna die." He's like, "Maybe." <laughs> yeah. Like, if, if it if it works, it works. If it doesn't, doesn't. Yeah. Basically, no skin off our back. Like basically saying, like, look what we tried to do. Yeah. Like, like to the prophets, like, look what we tried to do. We we sent the lesser species to try to take this. So like. We tried. Yeah, we did what we could. But obviously, when you have Gray Team on there, it fails. Mm-hmm. And then we get back to our... And now with any Ungoy dealt with, like kind of the, the, the Exodus rock, yeah. as it is, is kind of clear of that. They're, they're good to jump. And, and Keys is trying to come up with this speech again to get to the council and say... Because their original plan was to jump really far out to a different system that's still outside of UNSC-controlled space. Mm-hmm. And... Keys is like, okay, I ha- you know, get some of the phones. Like, I have to convince you. You don't have enough power to to make any of those jumps. You still kind of don't know where you're going. But with the started that we have, you can jump to the inner colonies. Mm-hmm. And we'll be there to assist you. We'll make smaller jumps because otherwise the asteroid would just tear itself apart. Six miles long. Yeah. And uh, so we'll make these jumps and we'll see what we can do in slip space. And Maria's there and she said, you know, I voted with the council and... You don't have to persuade us. Like, we've already decided, yeah. you know, he's, we're going like, to go with you. It's like, good, because if you kick me in the crotch, I can fight <laughs> through it. I can. Yeah. And it's, and it's a really moving speech, too, because Keys brings up, you know, I, I know not all of your insurrectionists. I can't guarantee the insurrectionists that are in there will be treated fairly. Mm-hmm. But he's like, you're talking for a million people. Mm-hmm. And so when they agree to it, they eventually take their subspace jumps because they're doing them randomly per the cold protocol, mm-hmm. until they can kind of get back towards UNSC-controlled space away from Earth. Yeah, so so kind of that, we kind of see, like, this does work out, these people are saved, they they go into slip space and they're gone. Yeah, so so they're, 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 they're saved from here, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so then we see what you, what you call one of our very good friends. One of our great friends. I would call him probably one of my best friends uh, out there. Bonifacio. Bonifacio. So he's on the verge of death. He's in that drop pod, and he's like, I'm going to run out of oxygen, or I'm going to get, you know, or the heat's going to He's going to go out. I'm going to freeze. So this giant Covenant carrier shows up out of nowhere, and he's, like, waving them down as if they give a fuck. Like, yeah, he's like, oh, if, if these guys, if, the, you know, the kid gear are helping me, like, what if I actually get this ship? Like, he's like, obviously, I'll bring you a prisoner. That sucks, but I'll be alive. Yeah, the eight seven. There's like monologue, and it's like I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna make it. So he's like, he's like waving them down. He's like over here, and they're like coming. And he's like cool, and he's like coming at me pretty quickly. And then they just zap his ass out of space. Yeah, it's just like a little 
He's yeah. gone. <laughs> it's like literally like flicking a fly off of you. Yeah. And I'm like, assuming it's like, no. And it's like, well, clear the comm channels. Get that thing out of here. Yeah. So that guy goes down as he should because he's he's a backstabbing bastard who kind of deserved what he got. Mm-hmm. So now it moves on to Thel and Czar again. Mm-hmm. And so they're in front of the prophets, regret and truth. And Czar's freaking out. Because he's like, we're gonna get killed. Yeah. Like, and basically they 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 were like, he's like, we know too much. We kind of screwed some things up. So he pulls out his energy sword, talking to these prophets. He takes one step forward, and all of a sudden, all the honor guards like ah ah ah. And so then he takes another step, and Thel knows like this is Thel's friend. And so Thel's like, shit. Yeah, because I think the line is like Zar's like. I have drawn, and he like takes his steps, and then Thel goes, and I too have. Yeah, and and Zar's like, and I'm not gonna put it away. So basically, Thel takes him out and just decapitates him. Yeah, because he stabs him in the neck first, and then just like does a cool sword move, and yeah. then slices his head off. So regrets like I'm out. Too much for me. I'm gone. And so Truth is like, kind of just like rolls up next to Thel, and Thel puts his head down because he doesn't know what's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, you live, but you don't tell anyone what just happened. And you're getting a promotion. Yeah. So Deuces, he's, he says, you get the fleet of particular justice and sends him on his way. And you can tell in this scene, Thel is so confused. Like, he's like, I was going to die, but I killed my friend and now I can live. Like, why were these guys fighting anyways? And... It kind of like later goes to truth and regret talking and they're kind of put their differences aside. They both had those different agendas and they're like, all right, we'll still find the humans because like I think it was regret like truth thought he could find the human homeworld mm-hmm. with doing this trading and regrets like, well, we didn't get anything out of this. And he's like, it'll be fine. Yeah, because I think truth is like, well, maybe not, but we did. He's like, because we've already identified, like, three or four of the other worlds. Yeah, like, we we got some stuff out of this. It wasn't yeah. a total loss. Yeah, then they kind of, you know, shook and made up after this. We're like, okay, we're on the same path again. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah, well, well, something I do want to mention, and I forget, I think, I, I can't remember who it was, but one kid, Yar, was kind of bummed that they had to kill the humans because he started to like them. And I'm jumping back here, but it was Reth. Because he, he was talking about how he actually kind of, like, liked this whole training thing. It's like we're like-minded species. Like this sucks, but we got to do what we got to do. And that jumps back again to the point of kind of everyone's very similar. It's just kind of agendas that change your per- your perception mm-hmm. on others. Mm-hmm. So both we've seen it with Czar and with the Kigyar that they're like, maybe, you know, why haven't we recruited the humans? Like why aren't they with us they seem very like-minded yeah they're warriors they're traders they're kind of everything the covenant's made up of so why are we fighting them mm-hmm. but in the eyes of the prophets and in the current eyes at this moment of thel is that that's heresy yeah like, like they're they're desecrating what is you know proper basically mm-hmm. yeah so you learn that once again the prophets are dicks mm-hmm but yeah, then moving on, kind of wrapping everything up, 
one of the, there, there's a handful of scenes that are happening. This now. is where 17 chapters jump in. Yeah, literally, it's like four pages, chapter, four pages, chapter, four pages, a page chapter. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so then, you know, the Exodus does make its way into, is it the 18, the 18 Scorpi system? 18 Scorpii system. Yeah. And so basically, all like uh, everyone's refugees for the most part now. Yeah, under the guise of the UNSC. Yeah, because it's. I always love scenes like this too, because it's these bored kind of watchmen mm-hmm. kind of sitting in their ship, and they're like, "Oh, there's something coming in through subspace. That's huge. Is it Covenant?" And this rock just comes through. Yeah, and like it's got a friend or foe tag on it, and it's UN. It's you know UNSC ship, and Keys calls over. He's like, "Hey, this is Keys. The Midsummer Night. Uh, we're all friendly." Yeah, we're we're Gucci. Let's go. Come and, on. Yeah, and and Exodus makes its kind of final resting place, I guess, whatever you want to call it, right now at Phallic Numa, which is the planet that they ended up jumping to. Mm-hmm. And we'll learn this a little bit later. But with Phallic Numa and the help of the UNSC, they're able to bring ships on and actually take off. So they say all million citizens and bring them to the surface, mm-hmm. and we're able to yeah. rescue them before the actually asteroid. Before the asteroid itself kind of broke up and yeah. kind of shattered from, because it, it already been going through subspace, it's been shattering through that engine's blowing up. Yeah, so they're able to rescue him before all that happened. Yeah, and then we, you know, chapter eighty nine. Now it goes back to Zanghelios, and it's Thel Vadami and Lock Vadami, which I think they say raised him, but it's not his parents because yeah. it's it's it, for Zanghelios culture, it's like. The closest family member you know is your uncle. Yeah, it's always the uncle. You don't know your you don't know your parents for some reason. I think you're taken away from your mom once she's done like nursing you, uh-huh. and then like your uncle takes you over to train you. I don't Lucky remember. dads, I don't have to raise a kid. Well, if your brother has one, then you got to raise his. <laughs> Shit, true. So yeah, so I, th- I think it boils down because they talked about it a little bit more in the book going over that. I think it's more so that they're not like super personable with you. Yeah. But you're still bloodlined through them? Because they, yeah. they said, like, bloodline, you mostly know your uncle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, so Thel and Locke are talking, and Thel is just kind of talk like, kind of confused, like, and, and, and like, only, like, knows, like, I can only tell this guy. And saying, like, I'm confused. I, I don't know what's going on here. And Locke kind of gives, like, a backstory to him, like, you know, we, we... We've met these guys because we were fighting with them because we had a disagreement on what we should do with Forerunner technology. Mm-hmm. Like, things are going to get a lot stranger here. Like, you just got to roll with the punches, basically. Well, and then uh, he, Locke gives a great speech with them because Thel asks, you know, kind of what is heresy? Like, why, why are they able to fight, you know, in amongst themselves? Why do we kill the humans? Why do we do this? You know, what is it? And he's just like, well, heresy is, or it's heresy. You know, it's it's either or. And Thel's like, what, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, when we found this stuff, we sought to preserve it, mm-hmm. and not, you know, not dabble with it. It's something to be kind of religious, you know, in a way for us mm-hmm. to kind of worship it. But then, whenever you have these others get their hand on it, they change those rules. Mm-hmm. They break it apart. They tear it apart. Now it's heresy for us to keep it that way. So he's like, it changes per whoever's ruling. Yeah. And he's like, you need to go with what you kind of believe as the way to go. Yeah. So it definitely interesting, like, kind of morality 
questioning going on or moral questioning going mm-hmm. on through this. So then now we meet Admiral Preston Cole in the yeah, book. I th- in the flesh. In the flesh. And Keyes is like, I'm in trouble. Because he broke the Cole protocol, correct, while doing while trying to save all these Yes. So he he already knew he was gonna be court martialed for some other stuff, but taking one, a foreign object that is not UNSC into UNSC space mm-hmm. was huge. Like, yeah. like he's so he's in tr- he thinks he's in trouble. And he's just like, well, my career is over. But actually, like he says that it's almost like Cole's putting on this act, like knows what's going on, but still slowly turning the pages and listening to everything he's saying and kind of being stern. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he, it's interesting, too, because, you know, he starts to bring up, he said, you know, you brought this foreign object um, into our space and it's broken apart, you know, in the orbit of phallic pneuma. And, you know, we're using Macrounds to blow up the bigger ones. But honestly, it's going to be years before we clear that out. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, you kind of ruined that planet. You've also given us a million foreigners that we have to house and do this stuff with. There's insurrectionists among them. And the insurrectionists that we knew of that are in the camp have escaped and have gone out. Mm-hmm. But what you've given us, many of these people are pilots. And we've actually had them join the UNSC. Yeah. You know, many of these people knew about Covenant technology and fought them one-on-one. You've brought them to the UNSC. You know, you were able to save these people's lives. And, you know, like, great job. Yep. He's like, you are a commander now. Yeah. Great job, Commander Keys. Yeah, because he makes a comment like, you're not ever going to teach again. Like, people are going to talk about what you You're going to be in the history books. You're not going to be teaching the history books. Which is, I mean, he he does, I'm assuming, I can't confirm or deny right now, but that he went in the history books. Like, he was such a pivotal role, and we see that he did do these things that he needed to do. It's like, maybe someone else wouldn't have done this, Mm -hmm. but, like, see what they got from this. Yeah, and, and, you know, he's saying... You know, the coal, the, the coal protocol was put into effect with this. Like, you have followed it to what you could, but you did what a commander should, basically. Yeah. So then as he's leaving, he sees the Spartans. He's kind of like, huh? And you realize that they're actually Oni. Like, you, you didn't think, like, you thought they were just, like, secret ON, ON, or UNSC, but it's like, they're Oni. Mm-hmm. Well, well, what they, they were going to, they needed a new ship. Yeah, because they had left the, the uh, Petya behind because they were like, okay, you know, we've, we didn't want to drag it around. We didn't want to try and jump through slip, slip space with it. So we just left it there. Uh, we need a new prowler. Yeah, they're like, we were thinking about stealing one. Yeah. So you should probably just give us one. And Cole's like... Fine, and you're going deeper into any enemy lines now. We're sending you deeper than ever before, and they were literally just like, "Cool." Yeah, and it was it was it was neat because they were talking about like Cole's inner monologue, saying like, and Cole thought that you know all three of them wore like a huge smile under their helmet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, they were super excited for this because that's what they love. They love mm-hmm. this weird covert shit where they don't talk to anyone for years at a time. Yeah, right? and they they just get to cause mischief and do whatever they want, kind of thing, and you know complete their missions, but do what they want with it. They get to go drink at a bar. They get to mm-hmm. go do this other stuff and like yeah. interact and just be part of it. Yeah. And so then, you know, wrapping up with the now Keys and the Spartans and Thel, we see, or it actually didn't wrap up with Keys, but we see then Delgado and he's talking to this recruiter mm-hmm. who, you know, Delgado's like, I want to be Navy. And he's like, you're not going to be Navy. Yeah, and he's so bored with it because the whole thing is like questionnaires. Who is your family? Given a psych eval. Yeah. You know, were you an insurrectionist? Mm-hmm. This, this, and that. And 
it's funny because at one point, you know, the, it narrates and says, and the recruiter saw that he was bored with it. So he's just like, okay, well, we're, we're, we're done here. You know, my people will call your people, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll let you know. But he's like, you're not going to be in the Navy. Like we, we need Marines, but you're not going to drive a ship. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like this Oni officer walks in and basically just like, no, he's in the Navy. And he's like, he's like, what? Like the recruiter's like, are you shitting me? Like. He can't be in the Navy. And he's yeah, like, like he's known as Drexia's ties. Like he's a bit crazy. Well, he's like, well, how many people do you know have faced the covenant one on one and survived? Like he basically was just like, yeah, like if he makes it through boot camp, then he's with us. So Delgado through all of this is now in the UNSC. He joins the UNSC finally. Almost. Almost. He does one thing before that. What is it? And it's one of my favorite things. Oh yeah, he uh, so he's he's talking to this this Oni Oni officer, you know, and he's and he's like jabbing with him because the Oni, Oni officer's like, well, you know, he may be a new man after boot. He's like, you're not going to disappoint us at boot. And he goes, no, sir. And he said, you know, uh, before I sign, like I'm not in the UNSC yet, right? And he goes, like, you're not in the USC yet. So he flips him off, and then after he flips him off, he puts his thumb on and signs, and he's, and he's <laughs> like, welcome to the UNSC. It's one of those things, like. You got me, you bastard. You got me. So good. So, yeah, and I believe he's, you know, wants him to pilot his own crew and mm-hmm, be a captain mm-hmm. and all those things. It's really, really cool. And for his story, at least. So so the final pages of the book, we see Keys. you know, he gets a few weeks to go back home. Yeah, because I think he gets a new apartment, too, because it's mm-hmm. like a, a commander apartment or something, mm-hmm. some fancy thing. And he walks in to find Miranda. Mm-hmm. He, like, runs up and he gives her a big old hug, and she's kind of surprised, and he can tell, and he's like... Man, I've kind of been a strict father, be like a strict Navy dad. Like yeah. that, uh, that I haven't seen you in weeks, and I hug you, and you're like, "What are you doing?" Yeah, and so he kind of sees he's like hoping to like keep her busy. He's like, "What are you working on over there?" It's like you working on homework, and she's just like, "No, I'm just I'm just screwing around." Yeah, and so he gets like, "What are you screwing around on?" And she's like, "Well, I'm listening to this thing on Audible because today's <laughs> show is sponsored by Audible." <laughs> My transitions are great. So yeah, today's show is sponsored by Audible. Audible is giving all of our listeners a free audiobook, and it's no strings attached. You guys can just sign up, get your free book, they don't. cancel or don't cancel. It doesn't matter. There's no auto-renew. Yeah, they, they do not charge until you say, charge me. Yeah, and it's, it's really cool. Like Jesse and I said, we use it for all of this stuff because we are slow readers. Mm-hmm. So when we have these, we can kind of take notes as we listen to it. Plus, it's great in the car, at work, at the mm-hmm. gym. You know, it gives you something to listen to that's maybe mm-hmm. you're done with a lot of podcasts. You can do that. Or music. Anyway, it allows you to keep up with us. Like, that's why we want to let you guys know, like, what's coming up. Mm-hmm. You can listen to the book. And honestly, learn a lot of the lore that we've kind of been learning with this. Yeah. And what's cool is, with this, I think it was the first time they ever did it, throughout the book, whenever an action scene comes up, they play some music. Some cool music. It's pretty badass. Yeah, so you can sign up today at audibletrial.com slash finish the fight. Uh, once again, that is audibletrial.com slash finish the fight to get your free audiobook today. Thanks again, Audible, for sponsoring this podcast. So then after she gives... After she gives the entire spiel about what yeah. she was saying, she's like, ah, JK, um, she's actually going over naval battles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's just like I love seeing this little thing like we see the way she is is because she had this dad to look up to. Yeah, and, and you know, he's even saying like she's he's like, is this for homework? She's like, no, nah, it's just something I'm working on, you know, yeah. like looking over these old battles. And she's running like because they're all like holograms mm-hmm. and she's running like five of them at the same time, like at different screens, different mm-hmm. areas and like. Watching each simultaneously. Yeah, she's a genius child. Yeah, and it shows you that 
you know, she's a keys. Yep. And so it kind of ends. Don't they go and get ice cream? Yeah. And there's just, there's two portions of this that I think really stuck with me in, in this chapter specifically. I kind of want to read verbatim because mm-hmm. it, it, it talks about the real dark side of keys, I would say, but then also just the really lighthearted, beautiful last sentence of the book. Mm-hmm. So to start off, you know, he's, he's saying, oh, I, I was hoping to tear you away. Let's, let's get some ice cream. And so, quote, Outside, as he locked the door, he refused to look up through the clear lunar dome at the night sky and the stars. For Keys, stars were no longer distant, amazing things. Now they were filled with the threat of the covenant, bearing down and moving even closer. An implacable foe. So I think it's just like, it's really cool that, yeah, I guess they got a victory with this. But, like, he knows what's to come. Yeah, he knows, like, this was a small victory. And... To finish off the book, mm-hmm. the last quote. So Keys and his daughter, after he rains doom in his own head about what's happening, <laughs> you know, it ends with, there might even, you know, th- like they're talking about, you know, like they're going to get some ice cream. Like they're just looking around at this really cool stuff that's around them. Mm-hmm. And because tonight he was just a father out with his daughter, enjoying the simple treats of life. So it shows that, you know, like even though he's got this, he knows what he's done and and what's to come but he can still really enjoy time with his daughter and like understanding that, you know, he's still a person. Mm-hmm. Like he still is there and he can rest easy at night knowing that even though those first few missions, he lost ODST, he lost friends, he lost captain, he lost all these people. He brought a million people back mm-hmm. like to live lives and to really boost up even the, you know, the, the war effort. Mm-hmm. I just yep. thought that was, that was just a really nice way to end it. And that's it. That is the Cole Protocol. So now let's move on to what does this do for the lore? Mm-hmm. So just some quick bullet points. I, I think a main thing for me is insight into the St. Healy culture. Yeah. I think that was huge. Well, it, it, it brought in, like we said, kind of breeding, upbringing, combat, honor, mm-hmm. you know, knowing, like even like Thel, like, like coming up as... The kaidan, mm-hmm. like that, yeah. that, like like seeing how that was done, um, seeing the honor that comes with being a kaidan. It's I thought it was just really, really well written with it, and, and mm-hmm. just gives a really mm-hmm. nice starter insight into just some of the lore with Sangheili. Yeah, we also see just how Jacob Keys got to where he was. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't just see him, you know, like in the in the fall of Reach, it was like he was young. Now he's just this big time captain commander. Like this is kind of some small steps that were taken and some amazing things he had to do in all these mm-hmm. lives he had to save. Also, we got to see Gray Team and their origins, which I thought was really, really cool. Yeah, I mean I, I think it's it was kind of like Fall of Reach story, but in like a tiny snippet. Yeah. You know, I, of kind of what they went through as kids and, mm-hmm. and gave them background onto their attitude and obviously their own eye job of mm-hmm. today which is awesome yeah we also saw trouble in paradise when it came to the prophets like clearly they have different agendas and they mm-hmm. kind of bicker about it and i think you see clearly regret goes off on shit when he doesn't know any better mm-hmm. and you can tell that truth is kind of annoyed with it so whenever you know he dies he's clearly not that upset in halo 2 he's like dick he's like all right sweet good sweet don't have to deal with this guy i have to deal with this old guy and then i'm good Mm -hmm. and then we also saw at one point human covenant relations yeah which i believe that's one of if not the only so far of a positive 
human covenant relationship mm-hmm. or it's yeah. a neutral one. Yeah. Cause I mean, we've seen it where like in our, the several comic book series that we did is that, you know, they took like when they invaded Cleveland, like mm-hmm. they took prisoners. There's mm-hmm. obviously moments in times that we've seen that and other interactions, but this is the first time where it had nothing to do with war strictly on the surface level yeah. was trading. Yeah. Trading just, Hey, we're pirates. We, we don't like our factions. Mm-hmm. Let's just, Trade boxes. I don't know what they traded. <laughs> yeah, just just generic boxes with like a logo on it. <laughs> yeah. So let's move on to the reception of this book. So many fans were nervous of the idea of a new writer coming into the fold to write a tie-in novel. Before to buy before Beckel, most of the novels had been written by Eric Nyland, a novel written by Joe Staten and William C. Deitz. And both had been kind of in the thick of Bungie, so they they knew the lore. But with that being said, even though there were some concerns from the fans, the book would be welcome with mostly decent feedback. The book would go on to land the number four spot on the New York's bestseller list. The book has a 3.9 out of 5 on Goodreads.com, a 7.8 out of 10 on FantasyBookReview.co.uk, a 4.6 out of 5 on Audible. And a 96% approval rating on Google Books. Yeah. And from this, we saw a couple release versions of it. We saw the paperback edition of it. We saw a box set that contained Contact Harvest and Ghost of Onyx, along with Cold Protocol. Mm -hmm. And then the audiobook. Yep. So with that being said, let's wrap this up. What did we think of this? What did we think of the Cold Protocol? So I want to touch on the stigma of this book to start. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, I'm not going to say don't enjoy the book, but they think it's unnecessary mm-hmm. because it's not really a huge amount of canonical stuff that mattered mm-hmm. in a way, I guess you would say. But I, I think overall, like the insights that it gives to Sanghealy, the the covenant human relationship that develops and even just seeing keys in action is, I think, in my opinion, really important. Mm-hmm. And I think the book told it really well. I think Buckel like did really well in telling certain aspects of it, made it really colorful writing where you could visualize everything that he said mm-hmm. and feel for the characters who either died or lost something. Like it was it was actually pretty big. I liked it a lot for sure. Again, we were literally cause you grabbed the book just now just so you could read those two quotes, and you were literally just like, This is half a page and it's a chapter. Like I thought that was silly. But at the same time, like, that's not a real criticism, really, because it doesn't affect the flow of the book. I could see why some fans were like, this is like, it's not a mainline story. It was our first really just off to the side story. But I really liked it. I thought it was really good. And we're going to be getting into more and more of those because the Halo universe is so damn expansive. Like, you can't expect these books to not happen. Well, I guess that's the issue, because you could argue that about a harvest. Well, I'd say that was mainline because that was the beginning. That was the first point of contact. Sure, but you could still argue that it was not necessary. True, true. I, I agree with you on that. And, and I'm not I'm not saying that I agree no, with you. No, no, people. I'm just saying, like, like if, you're, if you're trying to argue with fans about, like, those type of things, like, it's—I it's, get that it is a front portion of it is technically the start of the Human Covenant War, but it's also a story that really— didn't need to be told in such detail. It could have just been like, it started here. Yeah. So I, th- I think I, I'm glad that they're taking those points. That's what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say. It's like, I'm glad that books like Contact Harvest, Cold Protocol come out of this 
whether it stays super mainline or whether it's an offshoot story, if it's told well, mm. why not add it to a repertoire to like read or listen to? Yeah, you get these cool stories out of this. Mm-hmm. Like you get cool backgrounds and insights into the lore. And yeah. we all love the fucking lore, so why wouldn't we? Yeah. Like I, I think like going through this book going through books in general and like with the comics and everything, like it's a lot more fun than just like watching a YouTube video on it. Like, not to, like, talk down about that, but it's, like, I'd say if, like, let's say if you want if you want to know what happens in the Cold Protocol, watch a YouTube video about, like, a lore video about it. If that sounds interesting, then do it. Because, like, even, like, we can't cover a majority of the things that are, like, said in the book or, like, all the small details. Like, read this book if you can, whether you get a physical issue or you do an audiobook, like... It's a great book. It's a great read. I I definitely recommend it. I'll say like a four out of five for me. It was pretty good. I liked it. Yeah, I'll give it uh, one Rebel Home World um, to seven St. Healy Worlds. Is that your score? Yeah. Screw it. Let's go with that. (laughs) It's a good book. I enjoyed it. But yeah, with that being said, I I think this this was a fun one to do. I definitely loved Kel's upbringing and story was really interesting it, yeah. it brought a unique perspective to the halo universe we haven't seen before when it, and like it brought a writer who just happened to love halo mm-hmm. like instead of just hiring a writer to kind of do research he just did it all on his own and and brought up like oh i know all that yeah let me write to that mark yeah i think that was pretty cool but yeah so that was the cole protocol again fun episode to do mm-hmm. if you're still listening in two weeks, we're gonna get kind of spooky with you guys. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a, a spooky episode. It's gonna be a well. In fact, too spooky. Someone actually suggested this on an ask on Instagram. They're like, "You should do a Halloween infection episode," and I'm like, "Already got it." Guess what, bud? We are it's coming. So, out. so our next one, we're gonna be doing an episode all about the infection game mode for Halloween coming up. Yep, and after this, if you happen to be, I think it's a five dollar more Patreon member, you will get a bonus episode we're recording, and we did it on what should or shouldn't kind of be the next Halo spinoff, or what you know, what would Jesse and I really like to see. Mm-hmm. So, if you're a Patreon member, you get that a week after when you hear this, when you're now hearing this, mm-hmm. a week from then. Yep. Uh, and then everyone else will get it later in November. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So we're going to start doing that. Uh, Patreon members will get it a month before. Regular listeners will get it a month after that. Uh-huh. And we're also continuing our giveaway uh-huh. through the end of this month. Anyone who becomes a $5 member or more uh, enters a chance to win the Halo Interactive Strategy Game. Mm-hmm. So yep. we'll ship it out to you guys. Um, just a huge thank you for supporting us mm-hmm. and being able to play the game yourself instead of having to try and like dig around and find it somewhere yep and also we have a merch store now mm-hmm. yeah we have a merch store both in we have a u.s store and a uk store yeah so so we wanted to make sure that the like, eu people and u.s people could be able to order merch without having exorbitant um shipping rates yep uh so we'll post links in wherever you're getting your location probably either youtube instagram discord on soundcloud kind of depending on wherever you listen where you can get the links from i will have that available yep uh if you guys wanted to purchase anything or or check out some weird stuff we designed yeah uh, that'd be awesome and if not if you can't find it message us yeah we we read all messages comments everything like that so let us know what you think of the podcast and just wanted to drop it down with a thank you to some of our super valued patreon members we've got baby z skyjack charles zitter and Mike, 
And we want to thank you guys so much for the support thus far, for everything you've, you know, we've worked towards with Patreon, for the store, for you guys just listening. I mean, that's, you know, what really drives us. So I just want to thank you. MVPs right there. Moves. And with that, I am your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a Halo podcast. Halo, it's finished. No, I think we're just getting started.